Hey, everybody. We're live. Hey. Tonight we got a panel of Jews. This was actually uh, a last minute put together, but I've been wanting to bring these these guys on for a while now. Um, before we get started, before we explain exactly what we're going to do, just a big thank you to everybody joining us. It's going to be an interactive session like we normally do. We'll be taking questions. Um, a shout out to our Patreon visionary members. We have Trivium Energy, PTY, LTD, SOG Cannabis, Max Marine, Geffen Posner, Adam Albilia, Maya, and our newest visionary member, Adam Becker. Welcome to the club, Adam. And our one and only champion member, Rajya. This list is getting longer week by week, and I'm excited about that. Thank you all for all the support. If you want to support the show, you can find a link in the description. And uh, there's other ways to support. You could just subscribe. You could like this video. And if you don't like it, you could down, downvote it. That, that's cool, too. We're all about freedom of expression here. So who do we have here today? There's these guys. They um, have this little channel called Open Peace Podcast. And what they do is they bring on people for conversations about Israel and Palestine. Interesting. That's right in line with, with what we do. So uh, upon discovering Open Peace Podcast, it was clear right away that we're meant to be friends. We're meant to support one another. Uh, we're very much aligned in this space. And people who have similar goals should be working together to achieve those goals. Um, I was on their show for an interview. I had a great time. I've actually met these guys in person as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Amir here had a little house party. It was, it was good that I was invited. Um, and here they are on our show to learn more about Open Peace Podcast, but only learn more about what they're doing. We're just going to have a chat in general about the Israel-Palestine conflict, about um, right rise in anti-Semitism. We actually didn't even clearly define topics. We just said we're going to go live and, and go for it. It's going to be a fun little session. If you want to find their contact information in the description, you'll see a link to both the YouTube channel. Go, go do that now. Go subscribe to Open Peace Podcast on YouTube, and you can find their Instagram as well. Great. So just quick introductions from you all, and then we'll, we'll get started. All right. I mean, who wants to start? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, so I'm Kane. Um, I'm from Manchester, England originally. I've lived in Israel now pre four years actually this month. Um, and I suppose you could say uh, I'm one of the founding members of Open Peace Podcast. Welcome, Kay. Thanks, Adar. Uh, Amir, you want to go or can I just can I go sure, off? Go no, you can go ahead, Jared. Sure, go ahead, my friend. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I'm Jared. Uh, I'm the guy who claps the show out of existence when he gets to be on the show. I guess I'm also a founding member. Kane dragged me into it, introduced me to everybody. So you can thank him for all this. Uh, yeah. Cool. Welcome, Jared. Amir. Great. Great. So uh, my name's Amir. I was originally born here in Israel, um, but I lived many years of my life uh, in London. But I've also lived over here as well. A good while uh, this stint now I've been back for three four years um, and uh, yeah you know we, we decided to set up the, the open peace podcast to, to build dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians which is something that is not really done too often and, and our friend here Adar is also uh, in that game and I think it's fantastic um, to see 
his work and our work coincide and 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 try and build something uh really unique um so yeah it's a pleasure to be on the show with you adar and i'm sure we'll uh, tackle a lot of different and difficult going on uh over here in the hobby now awesome um so I, I guess just one more question about Open Peace Podcast. Whenever somebody decides to take that leap forward and start having conversations, public conversations about such a challenging topic, it's always, it's fair to say it takes somewhat of an emotional toll at times, but it's also a great, it's very meaningful and it's a great learning experience. What, what would you say is something you'll learn since starting to do these conversations? Uh, I know what my answer to that is. Uh, definitely that it's not just a phrase that there's two sides to every story. Really, there's genuinely more than one way of looking at it. Obvious, It seems obvious when you say it, but um, when you're on a side, you kind of feel like there can only be one person that's right, and you obviously assume it's yourself. Um, but when you start to engage and talk to people who don't agree, and come from the other side of it, you can actually learn things, even if not everything they say is true. A lot of people will say things just to support their, you know, their agenda, and it's not necessarily factual. But a lot of the times, you learn things about your side that are not so fully grounded in reality. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've seen is that, um, People can disagree about stuff, but at the same time, uh, enlighten each other. Um, as to the inadequacies of each other's own little perspectives on things. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take take that on. I mean, one of the things that I've I've seen and definitely learned from from taking this project on is the willingness of both Israelis and Palestinians to engage and to have dialogue and, and to do exactly what our governments and leaders don't seem to be doing and haven't been doing for, for a very long time now. So that gives me strength and gives me confidence that with time and with a good process and with willingness on both sides, we can definitely solve this, uh, this, this conflict. Um, one of the things that I, I you know, we've, it's kind of a recurring theme now in our podcast is that, um, you know, the Irish and English fought for 800 years. We're at 100 years now. So let's not, you know, drag it on and on and on. And let's try and uh, get something sorted um, as soon as possible. So that's a huge positive. Uh, and like Kane said, there's a lot to learn on both sides. So if you're willing to listen and if you're willing to open your heart to, to the other side, then definitely positive things uh, can only grow and come out of that. Well put. And just one more thing about England and Ireland. I mean, that should be a source of hope because we, mm. we often hear people say we've been fighting for 100 years. There's, there's no end in sight. I mean, it just shows that, you know, even mm. even groups of people that fought for far longer eventually did solve a conflict. So. The question is, what can we do to progress that resolution? Exactly. How we how can we advance it? And you're right. You can take a lot of positivity from that. Um, 
And one of the things that happened in that peace process, you know, in, in the early 90s and the Good Friday agreements was the disarmament of the IRA, which was, you know, kind of in the same situation as Hamas in a way. They're seen as freedom fighters by their own people, but they're seen as terrorists by most of the world, right? Um, and I think disarmament of terrorist groups over here is something that is not really talked about even. You know, I don't hear any Israeli politician saying we need to rid Islamic Jihad and Hamas of, of their weapons. It's not something uh, that I hear, and it's definitely something that will need to be part of any peace process and long-term uh, solution. Mm -hmm. I, well, I think that's more a question of how do you actually do it, you know? Exactly. Like, you, like how, how, do, how do you get... How do you disarm them? And then there, there's a greater question that Palestinians viewed it as an injustice that we're allowed to have weapons and they're not, right? So it's like Palestinians should have a right to a military. Well, yeah, not yeah, hard. but there's a difference, Adar. There's a difference between a terrorist organization and like a formed uh, oh, I, military. You I, know, agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against them having that, but. For that to happen, there needs to be some kind of deal where they have a proper state or, or some form of government or autonomy or whatever that may be in the end that they decide on that can that can run something that is legitimate and not uh, an extremist organization. You see, and when you say, like, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult to take weapons, of course, 100%, definitely. But it was done with the IRA, you know. There was a, a amnesty given to people giving back weapons, I, I believe. Um, and, you know, a lot, a, a good percentage of people just went and gave back uh, their weapons. So there's no reason that, that it can't work here. I don't, I yes. Don't, I don't. So I, I do want to hear more about that because I don't know much about the England-Ireland conflict. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just want to go, go back real quick to the concept of Palestinians deserving an army. A, a lot of... A lot of conflict, you know, we, we always try to break it down as there's a good guy versus a bad guy. But many conflicts, most conflicts are more complex than that. They're not quite as simple as good guy versus bad guy. It's two groups of people with misaligned interests whose destinies met each other and now they're fighting. What's that? We're getting some pretty, uh, Jared, I think yeah, that's on your own. What did you do? Is that me? Yeah, whatever that thing is, that's never... Never to be turned on ever again. <laughs> um, so, so, oh, you know, our, our, does it happen when I turn my mic on? Oh, uh, well. So I guess only when you play with the play with the wire a little bit, but um, right. or 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 just use your headphones maybe for your mic because yeah, like yeah, just connect it to your headphones. It, it might be better. So. Our interests are just misaligned, and obviously Palestinians want an army, and obviously Israel doesn't want them to have one because we see that as a threat to our safety. So a, a, a lot of better understanding the conflict is understanding how our interests are just misaligned, and you know Israel's going to make an effort to keep Palestinians as unarmed as possible until they feel confident that those arms won't be used against them. My right? Bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. but, then again, but then again, but Adar, there's there's weapons and stuff given to the PA. You know what I mean? At the same time. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the level in power of arms yeah. is definitely something to question, but it's not like the Palestinians are completely devoid of weaponry or any ability to defend themselves or take offensive or defensive action. Mm-hmm. Like, they have uh, I mean, some ability. Well, right, some ability, but in, in the form more so of guerrilla warfare. Like, it's not, exactly. they don't have a military that could in any way, shape, or form, uh, you know, compete or. Yeah, yeah well, fight I kinda, back, yeah, with, with guerrilla warfare. Sure. Yeah. I, I kind of see Amir's point on this, though, be, because what they have right now is Hamas uh, and PA, and they don't have people in control who are going to use a military responsibly. Uh, mm. Obviously, they have a right to a military as a people's, but I get what Amir is saying in that um, first, we need to deal with who the leadership is and how possible it is to negotiate with them. Um, I think we've all seen time and time again that negotiating with Hamas doesn't really seem to lead anywhere, uh, and the PA. And uh, right, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say it, it. It makes sense that Israel would resist letting a um, a group arm themselves if they have genocidal aspirations. Like again, we just need to understand. Like, there's no reason why Israel would be cool with that. That, but it's easy to understand why Palestinians would advocate for that. I, I do. Sure. Uh, I, I do want to move to the, the concept of how do we actually do it? Yeah. So you said we, we it, it was done uh, with the IRA, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. How, how exactly was that done? Uh, I'm, I'm not clear. Not to hand their weapons in. Yeah. It was part of the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. Um, signed by the, okay. It was yeah. done in an agreement. Yeah. I mean, like the the thing about the the troubles in Northern Ireland that makes it different from the uh, from the Israeli Palestinian conflict is that there was almost three separate parties fighting in Northern Ireland. There was the Republican paramilitaries that were like, as in Catholic paramilitaries, like the IRA and you know the various splinter groups. Then there were the Protestant or Unionist paramilitaries, like the UVF and other you know orange type of uh, organizations and then there was the british armed forces which is like you know like the british army and there's no like paramilitary when it comes to israel palestine you are not on like the israeli side they're palestinian paramilitaries but there's not an israeli paramilitary there's just the idf so the way good friday worked is that it wasn't like both the Republican and Unionist paramilitaries handed their weapons in and agreed to abide by, you know, civil law under British, you know, oversight. And they became political parties in the Northern Ireland Parliament. That's kind of what happened. And, you know, it's it's a good place to start by saying, yes, like if it happened there, we can have some sort of agreement here. But it's not a perfect mirror for what's happening, you know, in Israel, Palestine. The situation's different. The amount of parties fighting are different, as well as the aspirations are different. You're, you're completely right, Jared. But, you know, you can look at the process there and you can say, OK, how can we build on that? Now, yeah, personally, Adar, yeah, now personally, Adar, the way I think we build on that is that we don't make the same mistakes we've made in the past, like make unilateral moves to move out of Gaza and things like that. If any move needs to be uh, uh, between agreed between Israelis and Palestinians, um, and I think the actual plan, whatever that may be, if it's one state, two states, three states, no borders, no state, 
whatever it's going to be at the end of the day needs to work for the people on the ground. And I think it should be based on economical benefits for the people of Gaza and the West Bank and the safety and security for the people in Israel. Those need to be the main focuses. And then you look at how you do that. Investment, high-tech, tourism, uh, um, all these kind of things. Um, interfaith dialogue is very important, you know, getting sheikhs, getting uh, uh, priests, getting rabbis together to encourage the flock to be peaceful. Because unfortunately, on our side and also on the Palestinian side, we have an incitement issue, which unfortunately, you know, as I'm sure your viewers saw come to a head a month and a half ago over here with the riots, the lynchings, the terrible things that, that happened. Um, so we need to we need to base the plan on those things. And of course, of course, above all education, right, the, 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 the textbooks that are coming out in some of the Palestinian areas are really anti-Semitic. That needs to all go. We need to start educating our, our, our children together. That's what I think personally. And there are schools uh, in Israel that do that. Um, but it's a minority. You know, it's only a few percentage of schools that, that have mixed uh, classes. So I think, you know, that's the way we can pave uh, a future towards uh, a peaceful existence out here in the Holy Land. Yeah. But how much of that is by choice that it's uh, not mixed? I mean, I'm sure that because I know many Arabs that are totally cool with mixing with Jews. Um, I'm sure that to a certain degree, there's a lot of choice involved in wanting to stay within your own culture and learn your own traditions at school. Right. Uh, I, I get that, yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, it just it seems like we currently have three distinct school systems, three different curriculums, one for secular and many... It, Secular and many religious Jews are in one school system. Ultra-Orthodox have their own curriculum, and then the Arab sector has their own curriculum. There might be other variations of that, but it is a good question. It's like, how how unified can a, can a society be if, if they have different school systems? I know that they're, like, yeah. the, the libertarian approach would be like, you should have a free marketplace of education. I'm not sure how on board I am with that. I just we we, we need a unified society, and, and school is one way to do it. Why not though? Um, but yeah, but why not? But that doesn't detract from the normal mainstream school. You can still have that. It's just that everyone has. Oh, private choice. schools, sure. No, 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 for sure, private schools. Yeah, personally, yeah. so I kind of have a, a a chip in this fight because my mum's you know been a teacher her whole life uh, in England in the UK. And, you know, she's very passionate about education. She thinks it's the key, you know, to solving everything pretty much. And I tend to agree with her on that. Um, and she thinks that really we're lacking behind in terms of education all over the world. She was a teacher here in Israel as well back in the, the 80s and, and 70s. Um, so she's, she's seen it all. And she thinks that really we need to come at it from a, a, a kind of holistic approach there's certain kids and there's certain, you know, types of personalities that aren't suited to be in a classroom, even from the age of 11, 12, 13, 14. We can get these kind of kids uh, into, you know, trades uh, and maybe the high tech industry and, and, you know, give them a diverse range of skills to set them up for for the real world and, and when they get out there yeah. and, and at 18. Yeah. Uh, we also quick, got a just, question here. Yeah, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. I just want one more thing on education because I, I do I do want to understand your position better. So, because yeah. I, I personally don't have like a very well-developed position position on this. It's something that I've for many years been iffy about. It's true okay. that if you if you do have a free marketplace, you're going to have more competition in schools. It's possible you'll yeah. produce a better school system. Um, but wouldn't that take away from what you're saying that we need to be studying together? Like, it seems like it could just create disparities. You'll have a school for, for wealthy Jews. You'll have, you'll have no, no, a no. school for wealthy Arabs. It no, seems like if we, if we had a very like robust and well-developed public school system that was across the board, the same, that might be the best approach. No. So what I'm saying is you need that public school system alongside what I'm saying. You have to have it all. If you're saying it's a free market, having that choice of let's say a family who has four or five kids. Yeah. And they would, each kid is different personalities. Each kid might want to go to a different school. One kid might be more, you know, into dance and arts. He might go to that school. One kid might be into uh, nature, wildlife. He might go to the, the forestry school. So the more choice we have and the more diversity in terms of education, I think it would just be great. Uh, and, you, and you'll see a change in terms of getting people together it's not just up to education, uh, uh, the education sector to make that happen. It's also, you know, upon people themselves to take it upon themselves um, to be one of the myths in Israel is that, you know, it is very segregated and, and uh, it's an apartheid. Well, you know, if you go to Yafo and you see fishermen, Jews and Arabs, They've been fishing on the, on the sea together for 30 years. They don't want any of this mess. They don't want any of these riots. They don't want any of these things going on. They just want to be able to fish in the sea and bring some money home for their families. And that's the reality in a lot in a lot of different places. You know, if you go into any hospital in Israel, you're going to see Jews and Arabs working together for the best of their patients. Uh, and, 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 you know, so yeah. it needs to be a societal thing alongside education. That, that, that's yeah. what I mean. Well, I mean, I think I think the society itself, depending on where it is, it on where people live is already pretty well integrated. But I think the fact that like, there's two different like curricula based off of like what culture you want your kid to learn. Cause that's really what it is. You know, like if you want your kid to grow up in Arab culture, you send them to an Arabic school. Uh, if you want them to grow up in Jewish culture, you send them to a Jewish school, whether that be secular or religious. Well, that's important yeah. though. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's important for people to, you know, uh, what's the word preserve like their, cultural heritage and pass it on to their kids having that taught in schools is important but i feel like the fact that like kids go to these different buildings to learn these things like that implants an idea in their head at a very young age when people are their most impressionable you know that makes them look at like these people who don't who go to the other school not to their school as like inherently different when that's really not the case I don't have the perfect idea for that. I think maybe we can just do it in the same school, but different classrooms. I don't know. I really don't. I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think that religion and culture are heavily intertwined. I would say, especially in the Middle East, right? Yeah. So one of the th- potential major stumbling blocks there is that people want to educate their children in their, their you know, religion, but, I, the way it was done for me was at school. We had religious education classes and maybe with secular Jewish schools, uh, I don't know how secular the schools get uh, on the Palestinian side, but 
maybe with secular Jewish schools, it's not such an issue. But when you have the Haredim uh, teaching Judaism um, heavily, and on the Palestinian side, they have so much um, of their religion imbued um, into them at a young age, it's part of those religions conflict with each other uh, on certain things. Like we were just speaking yesterday on our podcast to uh, Zubaida, and she was telling us that part of the Muslim belief is that when our Moshiach comes, they will, uh, he will be the Antichrist for them. Mm. So for that, that's there are, there are segments of the population where they're never going to reconcile because mm-hmm. there are people that think we're the devil and there are people on our side that think they're the devil. Mm. And that's kind of insurmountable in a certain way unless you're just going to ignore these massive percentages of the population. I don't know yeah. how to tackle that person. Kane, Kane, though, I don't. I think that's maybe something that can happen naturally. If you remember when we spoke to Zubaydah about this issue uh, with the Mashiach and the same thing with the Christians and Jews and Armageddon and, and Armageddo and all this this kind of stuff. If you look at it from an agnostic perspective and you take all these things as stories and not as these things are fact and going to happen per se, then these problems dissolve themselves, if you see what I mean. The the issue is, is that we don't have enough of that critical thinking going on. Unfortunately, right, exactly. un- yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people follow their religion blindly. They will fast for something that they don't even realize why they're fasting for, or, or that, that they'll pray and they don't exactly realize the words that are in the prayer. Um, so what I think needs to happen in that sense is is education... And, you know, he's taking religion with a, a little bit of a pinch of salt. And, and, you know, even if, let's say, the most, you know, a strict Muslim and strict Jew that believes the Messiah is coming and they believe that the, the, the Antichrist is coming and all this stuff, mm. that could happen in 100,000 years. Who said it's going to happen tomorrow? And this is the issue that we're seeing. This is why it's caused, you know, people are saying it's end day, it's coming now. It's People have been saying it's coming now for the last 2,000 years. That's that's not what I mean, though. Like, I'm saying that uh, I'm not talking about the factual accuracy of the Moshiach coming being the the stumbling block. I mean, I'm talking about people's... um, Yeah, Yeah, people having taught religious views that say these things in the real world. Yeah, because if God tells you something and you believe that God's real and he's told you to do something, what human on earth are you going to listen to that is more right than God? So if that's what you believe, then it's going to be very hard to change your mind on that. And if your beliefs are violent and extreme, then, you know, I don't I take it with a pinch of salt. I'm not actually pondering every day. When's the Moshiach coming? When's the Moshiach coming? But. There are people that are doing that, and there are people on the other side that are waiting for that too because they believe yeah. there's going to be some end of the world war, some Armageddon. So those yeah. people are the problem, not the idea that it might actually happen. Yeah. Also, have, by uh, the way, speaking of... Uh, oh, I just sorry. want to take... We have a super chat that I want to take. Um, yeah. yeah, friends, super chats have been activated in Israel, uh, so super chats are very much appreciated. We do try to get to as many questions as possible, but obviously we, we do prioritize uh, super chats. So this is from 
BCFC Ireland. Thank you for the five euros. He pounds. Asks, is that pounds? Oh, my bad. Yeah, it's, a, it's pounds. Mm, yeah. Well, I guess one of the benefits of Super Chats is I get to learn all the currency symbols. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You um, think Israel would accept the long-term yeah, security? Would, 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 you, would you think Israel could accept the long-term security of Al-Aqsa for Hamas agreeing to accept Israel as state in a final settlement? So yeah. are, uh, what's going on? What's going on with that background noise? Just yeah. mute yourself. Just mute yourself, Jerry. I'm going to mute. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so are you – I'm not sure I fully understand the question. Are, are you – like you think that Al-Aqsa is under threat from being demolished for a third temple to be built? And would Jews oh. agree to to not demolishing Al-Aqsa in order for long-term peace? So I think there's a little misconception in the question because mm. – the, the concept of demolishing Al-Aqsa is like a very fringe group in Israel. It's there's, there's no like political, the, the, practically it's just not going to happen. Like it's, it's never going to happen group. at all. It's never no, going to no, happen. No. Well, I, but, but, let, but let's be honest. There is some segment of the Israeli population that would like that to happen, but realistically there's zero conversation about it. it um, it's not politically popular. There's no serious party that has that as a policy position. So I don't think that. So, yeah, m most Israelis would be like, yeah, sure. I mean, of course, I would agree to not demolish Al-Aqsa for long term peace. I wasn't planning on demolishing it in the first place. So uh, uh, unless you meant something else, uh, th that's how I would respond. But maybe someone here wants to give different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on, well, I, I just want to say what I said yesterday, because we actually had the, same, the pretty much the same conversation yesterday when we spoke to Zubaydah, she asked a similar question and I'll just say what I said then which is I'm not an expert, I'm not religious I don't know all the intricacies of the religion um, but I do remember distinctly one religious studies class I had to take when I was in school and we were talking about the idea of the Moshiach coming and that when that happens it will be when uh, he blows the shofar uh, on the Temple Mount so I, I remember asking him, does that mean that there has to be no Palestinians there in order to do that? Or does it just mean that at the point when we have a stable enough situation where it's possible for us to worship there too, that that's when the Moshiach will come? So I think people that believe in it, uh, they believe in it because they've taken that part of the religion to mean that our Moshiach arriving is the destruction of all other peoples which I never took it to mean. And again, this is a reason why we need to look at this from a practical, logistical, political perspective and not a religious perspective, because th there are certain people that are never going to let go of their religious views. Yeah. Also, by the way, your your chat is entertaining as hell, to say the least. Oh, yeah. The chat is always wild. Uh, today, uh, it's, today, it's probably above average and it's... <laughs> Wild slash cringiness. Oh, uh, it, 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 people come; they don't even listen to the conversation. They just no. come to fight with one another. They're, dude, they're fi <laughs> they're fighting over like the Hazar conspiracy. It's just like we're not real Hebrews. Zionists aren't real Jews. And there's like some dude calls himself the Mossad, saying all sorts of sh other dumb shit. Yeah, like, yeah. The, it is. Chat's always entertaining. 
but look, Adar, the, the, the you know the situation with Elaxa and the Temple Mount is key to solving the crisis uh, and the conflict. Um, you know because it is the most religious place for so many people. And nobody's happy with the status quo, right? Even the Palestinians aren't happy with the status quo, with, with Jordan and the Waqf having jurisdiction over it. So I think, again, part of any plan, like we were talking about the, the economics and the tourism and, and, and high-tech and investment and this kind of thing, it also needs to coincide with a deal that secures the old city for everybody, that allows everybody to pray, because I don't know if your viewers are aware, but even now, Jews cannot go up and pray with a keeper on their head. It's, it's technically illegal to go up to the Temple Mount and pray with any uh, Jewish sure. symbol. Yeah. So nobody's Jews happy. Currently don't have, Jews don't have access to their holiest site, for sure. Ex exactly. So nobody's happy with the status quo. So I'm saying we don't have to jump... And, you know, this is what we need to do. No, talk it out. Get religious leaders together that understand the area. Get rabbis together. Get some sheikhs together from the area. Get some pastors and some priests together that, that, that you know, take care of the, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And decide together how you're going to allow prayer for everybody uh, in the Temple Mount. And something that I, I would love to see personally um will it happen you gotta be optimistic you know you gotta be optimistic hopefully one day um people will see sense and um the holiest place on earth will be a peaceful one because the scenes we saw last month were were shocking really you know to see that kind of behavior a, a, a tree burnt up on there fighting between cousins um stones thrown it's just it's it's Sharif it's the better Migdash. It's it's the holiest of holies. Um, we definitely shouldn't be behaving like that up there. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to take two more audience questions just quick because Chris brings up an interesting point. Chris Roberts, listening to the speakers browbeat their audience is going to get you less super chats. Well, browbeat. I, I don't know, but I feel like just like demean because we, we were a little bit demeaning towards certain members of the audience. So I'd say the stronger case, like put Super Chats aside. That's that's not the motivating factor. It's like no. we try to not shame people or be mean to people. I agree with that. We, you know, we that's try to approach this compassionately. That being said, there are certain people that come to the chat. And by the way, the, the Mossad was mentioned. I don't think he's one of the people who comes to the chat just to fight. We've had a conversation I like the guy despite our disagreements, but there there are people who who come here just to troll, just to be assholes. They're mean to people. Most of the times, they don't even have their real names up. So yeah, we call yeah. them out. We call them on their shit. Yeah, um, call out the trolls. Yeah, what what's the saying? Don't don't dish out what you can't. There's some some expression. How's that? How's that expression go? Like don't dish it out if you can't take it or something. Yeah, don't dish it out. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm so bad. With, I'm so bad with expressions. Yeah, I, I should work on that. Anyways, we do have another super chat from Al-Ram. Thank you, Al-Ram. Al-Ram goes, there's a quote from a Syrian leader I know in Arabic. Religion is for God and the homeland for all. So uh, that's follow, that, is. is that the whole thing? We could follow this. Yeah, thanks for the 15 shekels. I recognize yeah. the shekel symbol. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree with him too. I think that, uh, you know, for us to keep our religions, we really don't have to hate and kill each other. Um, yeah. Definitely. I mean, there are people who are religious and moderate and probably the majority. But, um, but the way I look at it is that the ones who are religious extremists, we need to look at them as if they're the enemies of peace. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, not to persecute them in turn, but um, we need to understand that they are holding us back and to take a religious extreme, let's say a Jewish religious extremist, someone who's ultra-Orthodox and hates Palestinians because that's what he believes he's supposed to do. You know, someone like that, they're not going to change their mind so easily and they're not going to be part of the solution. Um, so you can't take someone like that, listen to what they say, and then parrot it back as if that's the Jewish narrative because yeah. it isn't. It's that guy's well, narrative. Well, that's religion. exactly that's what Zubeda did yesterday. She she brought up, you know, very fringe, you know, yeah, rabbi and opinions. kind of Nature Carta type yeah. thinking. And, you know, it, it, that's not very um, helpful for the for the discussion. I want to talk about things that practically you can do on the ground that will help. So in terms of economic development for Gaza, and I hope there's any Gazans listening, that should be the key to, to, to solving part of this crisis. You have 40, 50 percent unemployment over there. So that makes it fertile ground for Hamas and Islamic Jihad to recruit. When you've got, you know, no jobs, no, no future, no nothing. And, and a terrorist organization comes and says, oh, look, here's a few few hundred bucks a month to keep you keep you going. They, you know, they're going to hop on it. So we need to look at practical things that we do. And that's why, you know, Adar, I really appreciate your channel and appreciate what you're doing here with Sulcha, you know. Uh, and I think it's a perfect name as well for, for the cause. Um, and I think things like this uh, and things like our friend Inon at, at Habayt, um, they really do start getting the wheels moving. We're not off the ground yet. We're not even going 10, 15 kilometers, but we're getting the, the wheels moving. Slowly, slowly, it's step by yeah. step. Yeah. It's not going to come overnight. I agree. Um, one more super chat. We have Adam Albilia, also a yeah. Patreon Visionary member. Fewer super chats incoming. 15 chats. <laughs> Thanks so much. As he sends one. So I, I wanna I see we have a new viewer, Eyes on Palestine. Welcome, Eyes on Palestine. I'll try to address some of what you're saying. It seems there's a, there's a few misconceptions, but I hope you do stick around and stay with us. We are building a community, a diverse community of Jews and Palestinians. Um, so which which is the one I wanted to respond to? Saying your parents might have been following the religion you decided not to, and now you call yourself a Jew, but that does not make it a nationality. I mean, the fault, the faith doesn't make it a nationality. Wait, wait, uh, Jared, just okay. we have an audio version, so I we, right. we need to we need to read it out clearly. Just just forever's on Spotify, Apple, all those. Shout out to our audio uh, okay. listeners. Yeah, yeah. So Judaism is a so Isaac Palestine goes. Judaism is a religion your parents might have been following the religion, and you decided not to. And now you call yourself Jew, but that does not make it a nationality. So just a, just a little yeah. clarity on Judaism, because Judaism is a little bit confusing because it's a religion, 
it's a meta ethnicity and it's like it's a people as well okay so there's the religion of judaism that's believing in the in the torah um and the books that followed and there's many different variations of of jewish belief uh perhaps thousands but then there's jewish the meta ethnicity and that's really people from all over the world who most of whom did are levantine not entirely if you look at ashkenazi dna i'm ashkenazi for example well 99.7% ashkenazi according to 23 and me um ashkenazi dna is around 50% levantine and 50% european so yeah, that levantine roughly. dna right roughly genetics is not an exact thing there's there's estimations and all that yeah so even the european jews as as were considered do come from the region it's also a people because and this is probably more complex but like if you convert to judaism you're not of the meta ethnicity judaism you are of the religion but it said that you don't only believe in the religion you kind of join a peoplehood um join the tribe yeah yeah one of the reasons why this is confusing is because these are just like human made words ethnicity religion um and and each th- we don't quite fit the mold like uh, like other ethnicities or other religions so it sometimes gets a little bit confusing but i hope this kind of clarifies um your question and feel free to feel free to ask a a follow up question if any of you guys want to because I just I just got something maybe that he's trying to like infer as well through through the question or something that I saw in it is maybe any religion you know if if you're born into something it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to continue down that path someone may be born into Islam someone may be born into Christianity someone may be born into Hinduism and each person and, and their unique personality you know it may take them on a different uh path i happen to know a few jewish converts you know who have incredible stories about how they you know managed to find judaism and it come into their life so uh i really think that um that kind of way of thinking will definitely help in the future solving things and and opening people's minds up um to other possibilities there's a lot a lot a lot of religious backgrounded muslims and jews on in israel and palestine that in their heart of hearts are agnostic or atheist and it's very hard for them to come out of their communities um so that's a little issue that we have here as well sorry go ahead king no i just wanted to make a couple of simple points because i've been dealing with people trying to deny me my identity and my heritage yeah. my whole life and uh, first of all there would be no racist stereotypes about physical characteristics like big noses if there was nothing genetic going on that's pretty obvious and when you take a dna test and it says ashkenazi jewish that's not because it knows what you believe it's because it's what's in your dna so very simply there's your proof they're different things um we have a religion we're a people that has a religion uh that we as a people tend to follow but there's plenty of us uh Woody Allen's the most famous Jew ever probably if not one of them and he's Woody a, Allen? Yeah. No. Nah. Yeah, I'm just thinking like he's be'd be the most famous one of them. No, so, yeah. I mean he's, I mean he is very famous. I'm just saying the most famous, famous Jew, the most famous Jew is Jesus. 
Yeah, that's oh, yeah. I mean, that's oh, very yeah. true. That Most famous true. Jew is that Jesus. Is yeah. And there that's you go. True. So he he started Christianity. So how could he yeah. be a Jew and you know clearly have been the beginning of a new religion? Um, is Rudy Roshman says this, and I know a lot of people don't like him or don't agree with him. Whatever, I like him, but uh, one thing that's undeniably true about what he says is that as a people we have been dispossessed of our land and we've been wandering around for thousands of years. And one way that we can stick together as a people is by holding on to a belief system that we share. So that's why we have a religion. I mean, obviously, you know, there's all the, the God's aspects of it, if you believe in that too. But that's the Jewish religion and we are the Jewish people. It's not, it, they don't have to conflict it's quite easy for there to be a people that has their own religion, you know? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's even funnier to me about this is that like these days, I don't even really explain to people why being Jewish is what it is anymore. Because first off, if you have no right to tell somebody what their identity is, mm-hmm. all right. If somebody says I'm Jewish, I feel Jewish. My, my ethnicity is Jewish. I don't necessarily believe, but that's what I, but that's what I am. Then you have no right to tell them. Otherwise you're not them. All right. You don't define somebody else's identity. They define it for themselves. So if you have your opinion on what we Jews should think about ourselves, keep it to yourself. Cause odds are it's probably some anti-Jewish bullshit. Yeah. I, I, I'm noticing a lot of people saying stuff about how they don't like Woody Allen. And yeah. My, I mean, that. I kind of agree with them. <laughs> Yeah, me too. He's done some disgusting stuff. My point was that nobody would ever go, what, Woody Allen's a Jew or deny it, and he's an atheist. So that's what I'm saying, because it's pretty clear that there are Jews who are not religiously Jewish. Yeah, I'm, I'm an agnostic Jew, for example. Like, I don't, I don't believe in the Jewish religion. I don't believe it's, it's the word of God. Um, no, but I think but it's I'm a just- fantastic... It's a fantastic historical document that we have that we cherish and I value it. Even being agnostic, I, I, I sincerely value the Torah, its stories, its wisdom, the way the Jewish people have, have kept it as well. I don't think people quite realize, but the effort that people went to, to copy hand on canvas century after century, year yeah, after pretty crazy. year. It's it's absolutely incredible, and then to find the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you know, it, it, it's absolutely incredible. But that doesn't mean that we have to take things that are in there literally. And I would love if our Islamic cousins could as well, maybe, you know, take a leaf out of that book and not not see everything so literal that's in the Quran. Because if you look literally at some of the things that are in the Torah, and you wanted to live by those laws today we would be out there stoning gay people, for instance, and that's not on. That's not a world I want to live in. So, you know... Yeah, I'd be dead that, by now. Yeah, anyone that wants to live by those kind of laws, yeah, I, not for me, please. Like, no thanks. Agreed. Yeah. Totally agreed. Right. So somebody said in the comments... it. So Catholic is a race, yeah. But I was just, all, I was just looking just, at that. Re, re, real quick, this is someone named Masha Scream who already engaged in a few anti-Semitic tropes. This is like one of those people who you know they're probably American, um, 
old, older white man who really just doesn't like Jews. Like that's the profile. I, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. excuse my assumption, but that's generally the profile. We get them all the time. It's like this, this dude will just come in nonstop, just Kazar conspiracy theory, talk yeah. about how uh, Hitler worked with the Zionists. It's, it's a very specific type of person. We get them all the time. We, yeah. we let them, we, we give them, we give them a few shots. He's already been on one timeout. Um, Eventually, we'll ban him if he if he doesn't show to be acting in good faith. But uh, don't, don't don't even address that comment. Here's the thing: we address hateful comments if they hateful or dumb comments if we can use them to explain greater points. Because yeah. it, it's true yeah. that some some of the some of the worst comments allow allow for a great education process. Yeah. Um, good conversation. Yeah, but at the same time, we sh- we shouldn't feed the the trolls uh, too much because the the saying. Um, so Catholic is a race. We just answered that. So it's not even worth engaging. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, we could see some, there are some more in the chat. If you guys see anything you want to take, we could. Um, yeah. 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 Someone just said, if you have Jewish DNA, you can still be a Muslim. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Cool. yeah. If, if you become a Muslim, you just wouldn't be a Jew anymore. Although well, we, just, we, we disagree on that. Me, Amir and Cain about, you know, where, the ends of Judaism are sure. Yeah, you could be. You back could be to a, that point, though. Back a Muslim to, back, Jew, back, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had somebody on yesterday, Adar, who is a Muslim girl from uh, Iraqi and Algerian descent, living in England, and she happened to do a DNA test, and she came out seven percent Ashkenazi Jewish. So you know, there she. You know, you can have it either way. Uh, I suppose um, one of the things that I tend to think about history and and what went on is that you know we all lived in the same kind of region a a lot of the Jews and Arabs in the Middle East to think that everyone followed their religion to the letter of the law and didn't hop over to the other village uh, late at night is to me a little bit naive right to think oh no we were so pure we didn't you know we didn't intermingle we didn't mix Um, you know even if we look at the Jewish uh, text uh, Shlomo Amelech uh, and many others mixed with other peoples from uh, around the region. I was, I was about I was about to say, like the existence of our Ethiopian brothers and sisters are pretty well justified by our own stories ourselves. What do you mean yeah. by that? Uh, King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba, yeah. Ah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, true. And people ask about that a lot, right? Like, how is it possible that? You can all be Jewish and look different. Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, race is a very, like race as the Western kind of world is imposed upon the rest of the world. is a very clumsy thing. First and foremost, it doesn't really make sense outside of the Americas. I mean, hell, you have Arabs who are all shades of colors, right? You can find Arabs who are whiter than me to Arabs who are blacker than like the night sky. Right. Yet they're all still Arabs. It's true. You know, like this idea of like your ethnicity and your skin color coming hand in hand is something that was used in the colonial Americas as a way to control the society there by the European empires. It wasn't meant for the rest of the planet. It doesn't work for the rest of the planet. It's entirely artificial. I, so, I do want to show some chats real quick because Mo Bazbaz goes, yeah, I have Jewish D- DNA and I'm a Muslim Palestinian. Yeah. And uh, we have an- another one. Emma Pumpkin goes. I have, I have Jewish DNA, but I'm a Muslim. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah. And uh, w- what's interesting about Pal- Palestinians is that 
Palestinians are also very a, a very mixed group of people. Uh, like also genetically, yeah. yeah. The the amount of times you, you need to think that some amount of Palestinians or some amount of DNA has been here for thousands of years, and over the history of being conquered from nation to nation, it mixed in different different genetics. So a lot of modern day Palestinians do have Jewish DNA. They they were Jews who never never left the land and got um, conquered uh, by the Arabs and became Muslim over time, but. We are, in a sense, in many ways, long lost, not only long lost cousins, like the Bible says, um, Ishmael and Isaac, but actually long lost brothers, essentially, brothers and sisters, because of we, we used to be the same people. So that, that's fascinating. It really is. It really is, Adar. And I just want to pick up on another thing that Emma Pumpkin said here. She said, my family come from uh, Chechen. Um, but I've always been told that we have Jewish descent. And when one of my ancestors was dying, he said that we have to bear in mind that we are from Jewish descent. Um, so that's a really interesting comment. And I think actually a lot more people um, are do come from Jewish descent. If we look at Spain and Portugal and the Spanish Inquisition, the Portuguese Inquisition that happened over the years, we had a process of of you know, crypto Jews of Jews going undercover of Jews hiding the the, the uh, Judaism to to keep away yeah. from uh, keep safe from killed. the authorities like the Inquisition exactly. in Spain. Exactly. So if you look at a lot of Spain and and Portuguese names and that kind of region, you're going to see a lot of Jewish names. Uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of Arabic too. There's a lot too, of uh, there's well, a lot of Arabic well from, and Spanish as well from the Andalusian time as well. And so there's probably a lot more people out there with uh, Jewish descent and that might not be um, too aware of it, shall we say. So I want to pull this up by Eyes on Palestine. Eyes on Palestine, I I don't think you're engaging in in good faith anymore. Uh, You go, Ashkenazi doesn't mean you're Jewish, does not, don't know why or who put that in the DNA title or categorized like that. It just means you're European. Um, No, man. I'm not. you, you don't get to decide how <laughs> well how, how, how genetics are are defined. You're you're it's like you're implying that there's a, a vast conspiracy theory and that the genetic tests are changed in order to to mean that Ashkenazi means Jewish. No, Ashkenazi is a subset of the meta ethnicity of the Jewish people. I mean that's that's just how it is. And I do want to tell you something: when you make dumb takes like that, it. It not only does it do nothing to help the Palestinian cause, it's just used as fodder against the Palestinian cause. Like yeah. current, currently your contribution, I don't know what you do in your day to day. You might, you know, do great things in your community. You may be an awesome person. You may be a great activist for Palestine. But your contribution today in the chat has been net negative for the Palestinian cause. I just want you to keep that in mind. Uh, we do have another. Another super chat from our friend in the Northern Ireland, as he said. He's in the Hello. occupied six counties. The Republic will come back for you, brother. <laughs> Thank you for another five pounds. Uh, Israel will have to talk to Hamas for two reasons. One, their active resistance. And two, in a final settlement, they will be the ones to carry it. I, I tend to agree with this. Yeah. I know I know many, many are in, under the impression that until Hamas is destroyed or removed from power, then there will be no peace. I think that's one approach, but I, I don't think that they're out of the question when it comes to negotiating with them. At the end of the day, 
people generally care more about their power than whatever ideology they they, they push. Often leader leaders push ideologies to mobilize people. They often don't believe the ideology as strongly as they promote it. And if their survival is dependent on them changing their approach, there's a fair likelihood that they would do that. So I do think Hamas is, is capable of, of talking about Bennett with. there with the, are you talking about Bennett? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe Bennett will be the guy to, to bring peace. Yeah. It's all up in the air. It's all up in the air. Yeah. But I do think that, you know, Hamas, for there to be negotiations, Hamas would have to change uh, the charter and they would have to yeah. accept Israel in any type of uh, long-term um, peace deal. I'm sure they're well aware of that. And to be honest with you, I'm sure they're well aware of the disarmament uh, factor as well. Um, if Hamas was to dis dissolve into just a political entity and completely wrap up its military wing, then it would get so much more legitimacy uh, in the world and potentially could rule over uh, Palestine. Uh, I can see that happening if they went down that road. To say that people like Yihya Sinwar and uh, Khalid Mashal and these guys, will they do that? I'm not sold, personally. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sold either. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the idea of negotiating with Hamas is, I don't know, like, I'm not too sure like that would ever happen. I mean, even though they do value their power more than I think they value their ideology, like you say, thing is, is that they spent to, is once you, there's something my grandfather told me about the Soviets. When they invaded Eastern Poland, they thought the Polish people would roll over and just accept mm -hmm. Soviet rule because they convinced themselves of their own propaganda that workers really wanted communism and wanted the Soviets to come in and liberate them. And when they fought back, they were surprised. Mm. I think Hamas is at the point where they're believing their own propaganda. Even if power is more important, I do think they really believe the things that they say. And unless something really changes in the leadership of Hamas, I don't see any negotiations with between Israel and Hamas as to a permanent settlement possible. I honestly, and this is not an endorsement of Fatah, but I think Fatah is a much better yeah. chance of getting a permanent settlement. I agree. You know, yeah. I do. I, I feel like Fatah are the ones that uh, value their power above all else. Hamas yeah. may genuinely be religious zealots that only want to kill us all. Uh, maybe not, because yeah. like you said, that's pretty rare. Usually people care about their power first and foremost. Um, you know, I've got to say, though, I mean, long term, personally, I have a feeling that our friend Rafi, uh, who talks about his uh, Confederate plan. Um, Federation. Yeah, Federation. Yeah, yeah, I actually saw Rafi in the comments. He might, still, he might still be around. Yeah, I was yeah. seeing him there. Yeah, Rafi. Rafi. I personally really like, um, I mean, maybe some of the details will not work out that way. Of course, yeah. things are always done through trial and error negotiation. But I really do, I've been convinced by him and uh, our conversation with him that it's probably the way it will end up going. Because it doesn't yeah. seem like anyone really wants a two-state solution. Uh, none of the people on the ground anyway. Certainly not the ones with the stronger views. Yeah. I don't know, Kane. I don't know. I would, I would disagree with that actually, and I'd say that there still is, uh, there still is a base uh, of people that do want two states. There is quite a big base, and if you hear a lot of 
Palestinians as well. They're always talking about 67 borders, two-state solution, etc., uh, etc. Et um, well, they well they say 67 borders to like the foreign press. That's what they say in English. Like I, I, I think I think that two-state solution has been the solution that's been promoted for so long that people who are more apolitical or, or aren't really yeah. that ideologically driven, they'll just say, "Yeah, two-state solution sounds fair. Let's split up the land. You live there. We live here." I think the more ideologically driven segments of both our societies are more likely to want to keep the the land whole. So we can't only look at it in terms of what percent of the population supports two states, how much energy is actually behind two states. And it seems like there's way less energy behind, not political energy. Political energy, I'd say there's probably global political energy. There's far more behind two states, right? That's generally what we hear about. But the people, the energy on the ground of what people actually believe in what they want, there's way more energy in keeping the land whole on both sides. So it probably makes sense to take into consideration what the people want when finding a yeah, solution. Of course. The um, issue is, the issue is, I just want to address, because I know, Kane, you're keen on the Federation, and I love Rafi, and I love Zahir for getting together and, and, and making the plan. I think it's wonderfully thought out, uh, and I love the Constitution. I read through it. it. There's bits in there that I would definitely take into a final deal. The issue I have with the Federation is it sounds great on paper. It sounds like a perfect wedding on paper. The yeah. issue is what do you have when a small faction in Gaza wants to section off its own bit of area? Or what do you have when, when a, a group from, from Janine comes up and wants to and, and closes borders to a certain region in the Federation? I don't want any of that kind of stuff to happen. I want to be able to freely travel around the Holy Land and for Palestinians to also travel freely around the Holy Land. So I feel like in a federation model, that could be a real, real stumbling block uh, along the way. It might even work for 10, 20, 30 years. And then something like Lebanon, where you know there's a power-sharing system, it all just goes to absolute pot. And uh, that's what happened in Lebanon, really. Yeah. So, Rafi, if you're still watching and you want to join join the the panel and and defend that position, uh, feel free to. I want yeah. to go to more yeah. more comments. Give a super chat. <laughs> Agnostic says, Adar, can you talk more about the change in the Hamas Charter around 2017? I think so. Yeah, they did modify it. I remember. Yeah, they did yeah. modify it, and I think it's important to to highlight that because it does show that they're capable of change. I will admittedly say that I don't know enough about it. We should probably do a live stream just on that, kind of break down the, yeah. the, their charter and what it means and how it's different. I think that could be a very useful session. Uh, I think the big difference is that it doesn't, it's more, it warms up a little bit to the to Israel existing, which, which is obviously a positive sign. Um, yeah, we, we could do a session on that. Good suggestion, Agnostic. Adam Albilia, another super chat. Thank you so much. How how, how anti-Semitism works when Jews are sparse, are sparse worldwide, and oh. weak. No one questions their Jewish Jewishness before harming them for expressed identity and connections. That's one of two. He continues and says, however, when they f- fulfill these legacies, historical connections and aspirations, which is also keeping them safe. Now it's time to question their Jewish Jewishness. So th- that's interesting. And it's an uh, interesting take. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not an expert on anti-Semitism. Certainly not enough. Certainly not enough to to uh, share an opinion on that. But I do know that. I know what even, he means. Yeah. So maybe when someone wants to break down, what I do know is true is that anti-Semitism predates Jews being strong, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like one of the reasons why Jews have a country of their own is is they felt a need to to do so because of anti-Semitism. But Kane, maybe you you could uh, shed some light on this. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just agree that there's certainly double standards and I've seen it throughout my life. Like people tend to make uh, different arguments depending on what you're speaking about. People change the goalposts uh, depending on what they're trying to achieve in said conversation. So, yeah, like uh, in certain situations, it seems more convenient to them to um, deny us uh, our identity and tell us that being... Ashkenazi means that we're not really Jewish, we're just converts. Um, but then when it's more convenient for them to bash us racially, they're happy to talk about all these stereotypes, yeah. and call us a separate tribe and say that the Jews are all this and all that, all the evil stuff. It, I don't, I just think it's kind of pathetic to uh, not hold fast to your opinions, not have any integrity in what you say. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Going back to that, uh, Kane, you know, that kind of anti-Semitism and Jew hatred that's been going on for centuries and centuries, um, you know, is something that we need to tackle ourselves by being proud and by, and by you know, not, not having any issues with, with explaining to people what, where and, and why we're here and, and our history um, and one of the things that, you know, you brought up is the Ashkenazim, Sfavadim thing and, and all this kind of issue. I kind of see it like they're trying to divide and conquer between Jews. You know, they're trying, yeah. we see in Hebrew, and they're trying to, you know, cause tensions between, uh, you know, say someone like me and someone like, it doesn't matter. I don't care that Cain's Ashkenazi, he's my mate. It doesn't matter that he's Ashkenazi or Sfavadim yeah. or... Ethiopian, yeah. or he could be Soviet Jew, or, or, or wherever. It, it, ha, it has no bearing, uh, actually. On, yeah, let's uh, hope that yeah. critical theory does not become popular in, in the Jewish world, because that, yeah. that would not be good oh for my. us. Yeah. That stuff scares the living daylights out of me, to be honest with you. I mean, poof. Yeah. I, I, want, I want to bring up uh, this question. This is a whole can of worms. I'm excited about this. Ooh, so, we, we we need critical thinking says important conversation thanks and then they ask is Zionism racist racist is apartheid, is apartheid evil is apartheid evil so two questions yeah. is Zionism racist is apartheid evil thank you <laughs> no, we need, yes thank you we need critical yes, done. <laughs> no yes done go next um, one next, next. <laughs> um, you want to explain why Adar? Yeah. No, I, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come with this uh, very hot take on both of these right now. Ooh. Okay. okay. Nice. All right. Lay it on me. So, Zionism is the the Jewish right for self determination on our ancestral homeland. Mm-hmm. The question is, and most Jews would agree by that definition. The question is, what does it mean to self determine? So, there's countless different variations of self determination. Some of them, and, and when people criticize, when people are anti-Zionist, they're generally not saying they don't support Jewish self-determination. They're saying 
they don't support Jewish self-determination that looks like this, that causes Palestinians to be oppressed. So mm-hmm. there are many forms of Jewish self-determination that could be seen as racist, but I'd say a better framing is that many, if not most forms of Jewish self-determination are somewhat exclusionary, okay? Very few Zionists say, let's have a binational state where all people on the land from the river to the sea have equal voting rights because most, most Jews see that as the destruction of Israel, putting them in a dem- making them the demographic minority and putting them in immediate um, danger. So most versions of Jewish self-determination does have some nature of being exclusionary because it's seen as essential for the survival of the Jewish people on this land. Being exclusionary in your nation state is not wholly unique. You have many nations that do something similar. For Japan is one example of a national ethno state. Um, and most countries do have some kind of, uh, almost all countries do have some strict or sane immigration policy, right? Also because they care about demographics. Jews are in a trickier situation or is this land's in a trickier situation because it's not, it's very easy to understand why Jews care about being a demographic majority, but it's also easy to understand why many people would object to that on this land because we created a homeland on a, on a piece of land that was occupied by, by another group of people, right? Palestinian people. So they say, so the case could be made if there's any place that can't be exclusionary, it needs to be the land of Israel and Palestine because there's two distinct populations here and you need to have a system of of equality. So this really is one of the greatest challenges to Zionism is that most versions of it is are exclusionary, but many people don't accept that it should be exclusionary because you have another population living here and they've been living here for many, many generations, some of them for thousands of years. So right here is one of the greatest challenges to Zionism. Okay. Yeah. Does anybody want to add or, or build on that? Or could we go to, is apartheid evil? I, yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good one. That's easy there's to actually, answer. Yeah. yeah but, there's one thing actually though, that someone uh, has said, uh, a couple of seconds later, let's see. Oh, yeah. So it. it might have even been the same person. I don't remember what they said. Is calling Israel apartheid anti-Semitism, which is, uh, you know, an extension of that question almost. Yeah. I would, yeah. I mean, I would argue that definitely in the way that people do call Israel apartheid. Yes, because it's very obviously just the most thinnest of veils for them just trying to bash Jews. Now, there are arguments, yeah, because like, cause when people say Israel's apartheid state, like you're not specifying where it is, what the actual issue is, like where the military occupation is, which is where people typically talk about. But like that's also not Israel technically. So you're using stuff happening what's legally outside of Israel to bash all of Israel. So I would so, argue so- in that particular usage. I, I have a slightly different take on this. And just to answer yeah. the question, is apartheid evil? I, I don't yeah. like the term evil, but I'd say that apartheid certainly is morally reprehensible. That said, I think many Jews would be okay doing something morally reprehensible if it means them surviving. So if Israel becomes de facto, if if Jews living here think that 
apartheid is necessary for us to survive, then they'd be like, well, you know, okay, well, you know, I care about myself more than I care about other people, like all people. So that it, it, it gets a little bit tricky. This Can I just break any, something down? Uh, yeah, just real quick. Time. Just real quick, because sure. I do want to. I do the the charges of Israel being an apartheid state. We we mentioned this uh, uh, in in the session last week. I, it's a complex legal definition, and I don't think that the fact that Palestinians aren't citizens means by default Israel can't be considered an apartheid state. A lot of it has to do with one ethnic group dominating another ethnic group and who actually has control over the land from the river to the sea. So it's true that there's the PA, but Israel really controls the borders. Israel has a lot of control over the PA. So you get into vague territory if you could consider Israel an uh, an apartheid. And I don't think it's as black and white as saying, no, it's obviously not apartheid and saying so is anti-Semitic. I actually think that it's, it's probably a complicated legal discussion, one that I'm, I'm perfectly fine engaging in. We're actually trying to set one up on the channel with Omar Shakir from Human, Human Rights Watch. That's the organization that just put out the mm-hmm. very long uh, document explaining why they believe Israel is an apartheid state. So we'll bring them on for a debate. We're just looking for a good counter debater to make the sure. case that Israel isn't an apartheid. But, sure. uh, well, that, yeah. that, that's just what I wanted to bring up there, Adar, because I don't think it's vague. I don't think it's vague at all. I think, you know, you can you can confidently say that Israel is not an apartheid state at all. We've just got a government with a coalition with, with Arabs. It's nonsense to say that, that Israel is an apartheid state. Apartheid was a system of government that was uh, forced upon the South African people that had different laws for black people and white people and it was a terrible terrible form of oppression that's not happening in Israel that is nonsense in actual fact in actual fact some of the Israeli Arabs have beneficial lives on on Israelis if you look at it most Israelis have to go for three years to the army two years while somebody coming from the Israeli Arab sector can go straight to university at 18 and get up the ladder quicker so you know, yeah, that point's kind of mute, though. People, people will always ask, like Arabs, like, did you serve in the army? Did you, did you do national service? They hear that all the time. And some do. And some do, but the vast majority don't. And that, but, like, severely limits them. That puts a wall on how far true. they can the advance. Majority, that's yeah. not true. But Amir, it doesn't. The situation doesn't need to be identical to South Africa for, for it to be considered apartheid. That's one. Two, when people call Israel an apartheid state, they're not referring to Israeli Arabs. They're referring to Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Palestinians do not have the same rights as Israelis. They're subject to a different set of laws. And, and we've made the status quo something that seems like it will extend for many years, if not generations to come. We have a lot of control over the land from the river to the sea. And there's a form of ethnic domination. So people say, okay, it's not quite South Africa, but I could see this falling into the category of apartheid. I, I Again, it's nonsense, I'm, my friend. It's nonsense. Look, the, the fact is, yeah, if when we left Gaza in 2005, six, they could have, why didn't they declare a state in Gaza and say, we start from here and do something? Why between 1948 and 1967, when Jordan were in control of the West Bank, why didn't they d- decide to uh, uh, claim independence then? The truth is, with regards, of course, the Palestinian people deserve freedom. And if you ask me as well, they also deserve their own state and, and their own uh, um, self-determination, just like the, the Jews and the, the Israelis. Same. 
But when you look at it, when you go and look at the history of it, it there, there hasn't ever been a Palestinian state. The fact that the Zionist movement came in, it kind of jerked the Palestinian movement into action, if you see what I mean, into this whole want for a Palestinian state. I don't yeah, think but, maybe yeah, in the Ottoman say, times there was a need for a Palestinian state. Again, saying why didn't the Palestinians do something does not, that's not how you define if it's apartheid or not. You know, you can apartheid South Africa, you could say why, why didn't black South Africans do more to build their own society? Like, so having a charge against Palestinians and what they've done wrong, sure, I don't think that changes a legal definition. And it's funny because I always find myself the past two weeks making the case that Israel isn't apartheid when really my stance on it is that I think it's more complex than saying yes or no. But it seems like everybody's so adamant about just taking a strong stance on it. Because it's not. It's not a dog. It's not. And apartheid is a specific term that was that is government laws that you have difference for, for, for different ethnicities or races. We don't have that in Israel. It, it's, not, it's not a thing. Anyone can choose. We have freedom of religion. Anyone can choose what religion. I can turn around and be a Scientologist tomorrow if I wanted to. No, but, but again, again, but again, uh, the, the definition of apartheid, is, again, we could pick it up. We could read a brief definition, but there's a way longer legal definition. And the question is how you want to interpret it. It's true. Israeli Arabs have the same rights as uh, Jewish Israelis. Palestinians do not. Exactly. Palestinians do not have the same rights. So, so Palestinians if, are under their own control. If you look yeah, at the PA, yeah, it's, it's, but, we're but, not in but, charge but of what not. happens there. At all. No, we're, we're not. But, we're, but we're that's not entirely. That's not entirely true. They do have like a pseudo government, but a lot of the control is Israeli control. We control the borders. We control what comes in and out. We have checkpoints that seem permanent. So it's not as simple as two bodies. We, Israel, in many ways, is sovereign from the river to the sea. Uh, again, why is yeah. it complex? Why is it complex? We're sovereign from the from the river to the sea, but they have their kind of like pseudo-government going. Yeah, their little, little semi-permeable membrane. But, but, but again, that, that that's little, what makes wait, wait it... Wait a second, Adar, Adar, just to clear things up. In that little pseudo-government that you're talking about in the West Bank, okay, the, the, the standard of living, regardless of take away the terrorism and the bad things that are going on, the standard of living over there is higher than, than 80 90% of any Arab country. You know, a lot of these, the issue is that we focus on Israel-Palestine. The eye is on us all the time. When you go to other places and see real horrors syria yemen libya burkina faso mali chad and nobody's talking about it we're managing to get viewers here because it's israel palestine how many viewers could we get for 150 people that were just killed in burkina faso this week That's you know true. so 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 you know a lot of the the whole system of keeping palestinians down with having all the refugee status and it rolls on from generation to generation and 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 it you know, there's kind of almost like a, a, an industry of, of charity, an industry of giving. And what has all this charity and giving given the Palestinian people in the last 50, 60 years? What has it given them? Hasn't given them anything. Hasn't given them anything. It goes on, it goes on mansions to build for, for politicians, families and whatnot over in the West Bank. And in Gaza, it goes to villas of Hamas members. It doesn't I mean, go Amir, to but I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I view this as this, this is not how you determine if something's an apartheid or not. You, you, there are very legitimate critiques 
of of the PA and Hamas, the Palestinian society. I get we can that. talk so about that on this, but I think that's besides the point. It, it, well, when, something. When it, well, to, but I want to hear. I want to hear what is the what is the point that Israel is an apartheid? If we have, if in our state in Israel, an Arab can can do I'll, I'll, exactly I'll, the same thing as a Jew. How is I'll, that an apartheid? I'll tell you. That's I'll tell you what the I'll tell you what the point is. The point is that Israel has done very little to change the status quo, and they've actually done a whole lot to make sure it stays intact. We've continued to expand with settlements, which have an increase of military. Uh, military presence, increase of military presence is an increase of collective punishment of Palestinians. We don't have any plan on how on how to change the situation in the West Bank. It's continue to kick the can down the road. It's one ethnic group with, and you could call it a national ethnic group, fine, but I don't think that makes much of a difference. It's one ethnic group um, with a completely different set of rules than another ethnic group. People look at that they see Israel as having the power. Israel doing very little to, to change it. They're trying to describe the situation, um, so they use apartheid. I personally don't get, I don't care if Israel is an apartheid or not. For me, I care about what the situation is, and morally, I think it's comparable to apartheid. So it, it doesn't even matter. Like, it, it, like I could, I'll host a debate on this channel, and maybe the person saying Israel is not an apartheid will convince me. Right? Again, I'm saying I'm undecided, but whether it's apartheid or not. Maintaining the status quo as it is is morally comparable to, to um, what a, what apartheid is, and to me that's way more important. We need to do something to change it. We've done very little to change it, and and you know endless critique of yeah. Israel is justified for that reason. Now, look, I I'll agree with you a hundred percent. Okay, that things need to be done to change the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is terrible, shocking, and it will only lead to more uh, uh, trouble, balagan, as we say in Hebrew. Um, now, what I think personally should have happened is that when the disengagement from Gaza happened, 2005-06, that was an opportunity to start and negotiate. But unfortunately, we made a unilateral move that that quasi made Gaza an apartheid because we used to have Jewish settlements within Gaza. So if you take it back 20 years ago, in early 2000s or 1990s, we were less of an apartheid, let's, as you're calling it, than we were, than we are now. So I agree that Israel has made mistakes along the way in creating this monster, if you like, for sure. We've definitely made mistakes along the way, 100%. There's well documented. Um, but what I think is, is key is getting the Palestinians and Israelis to both admit those mistakes and admit those horrors that they've done to each other because suicide bombings are wrong. Taking ethnic cleansing that happened in 48 was wrong. All these things were wrong and they need to be called out. And, they, and we need to be forgive, forgive one, each, one, uh, one another and from their build, from their talk about you know, how we're going to divide the land, if it's going to be a federation, if it's going to be two states. If it, But we have to take care of, if you like, the therapy, the holistic side of what we've actually gone through. Because I don't know about you, Adar, but I mean, I'm sure you've been affected by this conflict your whole life. Me too. Uh, you know, and, and, and most Palestinians, uh, pretty much every Palestinian has been affected by this and is being affected by it right now. Yeah. Um, so... It's kind of semantic, really. I think yeah, it is it, it is it is a semantic argument. I agree. It's a semantic issue, and to be honest, listen, you're yeah. both right actually on certain things, uh, and I feel like um, 
Adar, you make a great point that the semantics don't really matter. What matters is finding the solution. And But also, in any serious discussion about this, there needs to be context included in the discussion. It's not that we separated everything and put those blocks in place because we're racist and we hate Palestinians. It was for security reasons. That doesn't justify why it's like that now. And I totally agree that there's plenty that needs to be changed because it's been too long sticking to something that suited us in the past. Uh, I also do agree that making a unilateral move was not the best idea. Uh, I feel like we also kind of made that move under pressure to do something. Um, so in yeah. a sense, we tried something to to change it, but it wasn't the most well thought out move, I feel. Uh, yeah. But we need to accept each other's um, suffering. Pain, we need pain and suffering, yeah. Justice is definitely on both sides, yeah. And we, there's no way forward. Um, they're not going to listen to us. They're not going to want to engage with us and vice versa. If we're trying to say that the things that you say happen never happened and only the things I say happen happen, it's no one's going to engage that way. So the only way is to say, look, let's lay it on the table. We've all messed up big time in a lot of ways. And now it's about changing it for the better. Yeah. So I say, because at some point we need, I don't know, my personal feelings on this is that at some point we need to save the discussions of the past and like blame for certain things, like for the reconciliation after the fact. For now, I think the real focus should be just getting getting our leaders to sit together in a room and just plan out what the future is going to look like. We should get we should start with there. This is where we are now. Where do we go from here? We can talk about blame and pain and who hurt who once we get this figured out. You know, at a certain like, because yeah. we've been talking about like the past, like for three generations now, and look where it's gotten us. Nowhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think the past is important for reconciliation. Like, we, we can't, it's going to be very hard to just forget about it, but. I, yeah. I do. I, I do agree that we need to make a real effort to change the present uh, because that that is more important than the past. I, I do want to do. I want to take a few audience questions. So, yeah, Masad's asking me why I make the enemies argument. So who's who's enemy? I don't have enemies. Everybody yeah, loves well, me. I'm glorious. Was my enemy. Well, Palestinians are not my enemy. Exactly. Any Palestinians yeah. are not. Yeah. We're literally cousins. You only yeah. need to go back a thousand years. We are cousins. We're related. So, yeah. so that that was my initial thought. But in, in addition to that, something's not true or untrue because your enemy says it. So if Hitler says the sky is blue, just That's because it. it's Hitler doesn't mean it's not blue. This is a yeah. genetic fallacy. To right. So. That's one. Second, if all you do is defend Israel, then you have no legitimacy in your defense. The only people who are listening to you are people who already agree with you. You're just living comfortably within your own echo chamber. But if you're able to criticize Israel and you do it honestly, well, then when you defend Israel, you have way more legitimacy. It's true. So keep that in mind. If you want your defense to have any meaning at all, you need to be open to critiquing. And if yeah. you're critiquing, maybe you're making the argument of your enemy. So that's kind of 
how I see it. Um, yeah. Menachem says, wait, hold on. No, that's, uh, that's the wrong one. Oh, she did scroll all the way down. I mean, I'm looking at the bottom. Oh, uh, no, I keep it up just so I could. Uh, oh, I might have I might have lost what I wanted. Yeah. Adar, uh, how could you lose that? How could you? We believed in they you. need to we find a better. Way. There needs to be a way where I could like put a comment aside and just oh, save like the one. like like pin it and move it over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, come That'd be on. awesome. Um, oh, so somebody else said I don't remember the exact comment, but it says our inequality is because of security, not because of racism. That's not that's not what makes something apartheid or not. Even racism often is a result of fear. If, if you were to ask South Africans why there was an apartheid, it's because they they wanted to have some political control. They would they were a, mi- a minority, a small minority. And if they were to give blacks equal rights, then they would have no representation. Is that racism or just self-preservation? Right. So the, the, the motive for a system of inequality doesn't change. It, it, it could change how legitimate you view that system of inequality. But I don't know if that changes the actual legal definition. Yeah, the line um, is thin, I mean, right? The line I mean, I mean, arguing thin, about right? how we got here doesn't really change the fact that we are here, as I said mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then I saw somebody else. There's some anathem saying nobody talked about Palestinian <laughs> suffering in other Arab states. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, don't think we're going to do that much on this channel because this is a channel that focuses primarily on Israel-Palestine. So we're going to focus primarily on Palestinian suffering on the land. But it's true that there's a huge double standard. Um, yeah. You know, Israel is definitely in the center of attention. And there's a lot of stuff that when Palestinians are harmed by Israelis, the whole world knows about it. When they're harmed in in other Arab countries, then like nothing. That, that, that's true. For sure. Can I bring something up here, Adar, quickly? There's an interesting yeah, yeah, sure. comment here from a Palestinian. My cousins in Ramallah can't even travel to Jerusalem for their whole lives. So, um, I, first of all, I don't know how true that, that statement actually is. Um, uh, personally, I think that the PA need to be way more willing and open to give permits, and Israel needs to maybe soften up a little bit on security if, if we can see that, that that's a, a, a possibility. You know, this myth of it being segregated, there are thousands of, of Palestinian workers that cross into Israel every day and go back uh, and uh, come in and out. So, you know, to say your cousin, I, I find it hard to believe that your cousin who lives like 15 kilometers from Jerusalem can't go to Jerusalem. I find it hard to believe. Maybe if he's like an ex-terrorist or something, and he he like you know he's been marked and he can't move around. Well, well, to to be to but, be fair, if you get if you get marked by the security apparatus for whatever reason, like then your ability to move is just it's going to be limited for the rest of your life if you're a Palestinian. So like yeah, or if you're I from mean, a they're, family, they're, sometimes yeah. it's the family you're from as well. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, like it's a little challenging. Yeah, so it's like his, to mention something though. Um, we have on the Open Peace podcast a Palestinian partner who works with us behind the scenes. He asks us questions to pass on to our guests because yeah. he doesn't feel comfortable putting himself on camera. Yeah, showing his face. Yeah. And it, though I agree with you, Amir, that to say that he's never been there is probably untrue unless he is marked for some kind of terrorist activity. Uh, it is true. We know from him that it's not that easy. And that's why what you said before is super important that 
figuring out the permit situation, for now, the permit situation, and in future, something more permanent. But for now, figuring out permits, uh, yeah. both allowing them and us allowing them, uh, is super important and is something we need to make ground on. But yeah, with the security issues, of course, there's plenty of reason to be hesitant. But I agree fully with what you're saying there, Kane, and and that's what I was saying as well. That that this is something that we need to sort out. It's legislative, 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 oh, legislative, 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 uh, uh, and and bureaucratic process that both, if you like, the PA and Israel need to go through. It, it's something that can be done. It's not like Zeloba uh, Shamaim. It's not in the sky, guys, to do this. Um, yeah. You know, we just worked out. Look how quick! Look how quick a deal with the UAE and Bahrain was done, and we had visas and quick and go and yalla. The world's changing. The region's exactly, changing. Sure. Exactly, exactly. And and you know, our Palestinian friend that you're talking about, I I I'm waiting for the day that we can uh, welcome him over. With that, he didn't even need to get a permit to come over, and he can just yeah. come. Oh, he lives man. less than an hour away. And and we're separated. So why why mm-hmm. why is there's no need for yeah. that separation? If I mean, we can I'm, work, wait wait, wait a second, Jared. Yeah. If we can work on a grassroots level and on an education level, and year by year build trust, day by day build trust, build connection, build dialogue, build the bridges. That's the way we're going to slowly, slowly, slowly see things improving over here. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm just, well, I'm just waiting for the day where I can post pictures of me with my West Bank friends without them disappearing in the middle of the night. Well, that's, that's never happened so far, but yeah. we have had people who've worked with us and engaged with us. Um, even people who've had their faces blurred on camera were somehow someone figured out who they yeah, were and they faced threats. Yeah. So that, the fact that our own people are trying to stop us from making strides with the peace process is a major yeah. issue. And, you know, someone just said in the comments that um, like 50% of all Israelis just want to expel all the Arabs. No. I don't, no. Think, I don't think that's, that's true. true. That's uh, no. I Maybe 10. 10 at most. Yeah, it's pretty much a fringe group. And again, it's just because the people with the most extreme and most outrageous views tend to get broadcast the most because... Yeah. They're the most interesting and weird to listen to, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, r- real quick, just what you guys were referring to, just if people didn't understand, it's true that Palestinians who are in- interacting with Israelis have been arrested and questioned by the PA for doing so. So that's what you both were referring to. When, mm-hmm. when it comes to the percentage of the population that wants to expel the other, I actually think it's a fair amount higher on both sides. I think just people aren't comfortable saying it publicly, but I think it's just such an easy solution. It's like coexistence, yeah. making it work. You know, I, it's again, too it, hard. The, 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 there's not there's yeah. not much talk about it in, in politics, right? There's no political will to do this. But if you actually get down to people's views and what they actually think, I think it's a fair amount higher than ten percent. But these people that want transfer of populations, did it work with Greece and Turkey when they when they they don't know they don't even know they have no idea like it's it doesn't work it doesn't work it doesn't work talk about the population transfers after the Turkish War of Independence yeah you know it doesn't work these things do not work well I mean. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a good example because both Greece and Turkey are are allies and member and members of NATO. 
But well, what are you what, talking about? Greek, Greeks and Turks have uh, there's still a huge hatred and there's always yeah. tension between the yeah, armies. there's 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 always, hatred between the governments, but they're same. allies now politically uh, under NATO, the U.S. nuclear umbrella. What, what, what I would say, I'm I'm not convinced it wouldn't work. I, I I'm not convinced it wouldn't work. I'm convinced that it's morally reprehensible, and we should we shouldn't even get near a solution like that when there are so many other approaches we could take that don't harm either population it comes from a, a form of like lack of creativity and laziness and just complete disregard for the other population to want to cause them so much harm and suffering instead of mm-hmm. trying to find a way to make it work so i think that's mm-hmm. probably the, the 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 strongest case we can make against it it's you, you're just justifying harming another group of population because you, you don't have the will to make it work with that population yeah on that so point it's, it's so, never. I just want to say one thing. I mean, it, it's sure, never going to sure. happen either, because like, unless we do what we're actually accused of doing and ethnically cleanse all Palestinians, then it's not a possibility. They're not going to go anywhere. They've had ample opportunity to say this is a messed up situation. I'm out. They don't want to do that for the same reason that we're not going to do that. They love so, the land. They love the they land, love and the I land. appreciate them. Yeah. And I appreciate their love for the land. And I wish some people on yeah. our side would love the land as much. Um, but I, I did want to address two little questions here by the same person. What the first yeah. one was, uh, um, wait, real quick because you know, this one's easy. It's just been, I want to get this out of way. Is everyone from the panel living in Israel? Yes, we're uh, all yeah, we, we live there. I'm on vacation, so I'm in America right now, mm-hmm. but I live there. Yeah, so one of the things was, do, uh, do I support uh, equal rights for Palestinians? Of course, 100%. Yes. More than that, I support the equal rights for. For everybody, for Kurds, for Arabs, for for Jew, uh, for whatever you want to call yourself, wherever you're from, and the same person also asked, um, "Do you think that the Kahanists are driving uh, the Arab violence in Israel?" Now, yeah, Yohan Biju George, he is spamming that question. He really wants you. Yeah, exactly. That is a very, very, very interesting. Wait, question. what's the, what's this question? Do you uh, think? that the Kahanists are driving the anti-Arab violence in Israel. Um, so I would say that there's definitely a part to play there. Um, yes. There may be other radical um, right-wing groups that are involved in that kind of behavior as well. Um, they definitely are playing a part in, in what is going on. Personally, I think like dealing with Palestinian terrorism, we need to be very, very tough uh, on Jewish terror. And um, for our viewers that are abroad, something very, very uh, unique happened in the last couple of weeks with everything that's been going on politically. Um, the Shin Bet put out, you know, uh, a kind of be aware, tensions are high, there could be a political murder. Uh, and that is something that is shocking to hear in my country. And I do not want the, my country going back down the road of, of what happened to Itzhak Rabin yeah. Uh, may God rest his soul. Um, so you know, um, we really do have to have to start to think about where we can take this conflict, where it's going to go, because we can't let these crazies and these fringe people control the narrative. And that's what's happening here. That's what's happening in with Hamas fringe group, and that's what's happening here with our kind of far right. It's very, very fringe, guys. It's it, you know, it, it's a minute percentage of the, of the population, but they're causing one huge mess. It's absolutely true. 
and the bureaucracy is not the bureaucracy may well be harder on uh, on Palestinians than on Jews, but it certainly isn't easy for anyone. Like, do you know the amount of people that move to Israel, make Aliyah, and then leave in the end because they can't stand the bureaucracy and they can't make it here financially? It's <laughs> you know this country is not easy bureaucracy wise whatsoever. Don't forget, we may be the most westernized Middle Eastern country, but we're still a Middle Eastern, a Middle Eastern country. country. And there are things that happen in the Middle East that just don't happen in the West right uh, anymore. Um, so bureaucracies, I, I'm answering more specifically uh, Al-Ram, who asked whether we think that the, there is specific bureaucracy uh, set up to you know, um, ruin the Palestinians' lives. I, I, there isn't any specific um, legislature yeah. that targets Palestinians and specifically um, it's stated that we're trying to make their lives difficult. And also all the Sheikh Jarrah thing that people want to bring up all the time. It's a civil issue. It, it's, a, yeah. it's a legal case. And that's maybe there's a preference. I'm not going to say that there's no chance of corruption. Maybe there is. And if that's the case, that needs to be dealt with in and of itself, but it's not uh, indicative of a general hatred of Arabs coming from the Jews. It's not the way it is. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I... Yeah, go ahead, Jared. Sorry, go ahead, man. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you bring up a very good point that, like, the bureaucracy... I mean, because, like, the bureaucracy here is so blunt and rustic, it's... You can't really aim it at any specific group. You kind of have to turn the whole machine, you know? And I'm just saying, like, y'all just don't, y'all who don't live here or live in a Middle East country, you just don't understand how bad it can be. But there are specific policies within the bureaucracy that do make life difficult for West Bank Palestinian Arabs. But those, but decisions for that, I believe, are mainly made on like the ministry level, such as like the Ministry for Housing and Construction. I think is what it's called. Like they're the one. I think they're the ones who hand out permits in cooperation with the Ministry of Defense. And you know, just the fact that like it has to go through just not one but two different authorities makes it already an already difficult system even harder. So it's just sort of a natural consequence of this huge, clunky, terrible thing just being put, having more people thrown into it. I'm not sure if I explained that eloquently, but yeah. <laughs> Somebody goes, hold on. There's this comment I'm looking for. I'm seeing a there lot was... of comments. <laughs> So somebody goes, that was a disingenuous take on Sheikh Jarrah. I, I was I was too stuck in the comments. What what exactly was the take? Yeah, what, that's what I saw too. I don't know if yeah. you're talking about what Jared just said or me. I, I don't I, know how anything I said was disingenuous because I, I, I it's probably someone disagreeing with you that it was a civil case. Because people is. people it, I, it simply is. I mean, I, the, I know it's it's a it's a case in the court system, but people just want to believe well, that evil Jews are throwing brown people out of their houses. That's the narrative um, they have in their head. Let, let's let's try to break this down a little bit more. Yeah. 
By the way, how long are we going for? We're on an hour 40. We, uh, who knows? You know, we just, we just go for it. If, you, 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 you can hop off whenever you want, Jared, though. You don't, don't feel the need to like, uh, if, if your grandparents are calling, then, uh, yeah, go. You know we're I mean, she's, she's not calling yet, but yeah. Okay. Um, I think there's, there's two main critiques I've seen. One is just the concept of kicking people out of their homes, you know, kicking like a 70 year old out of his home who's lived there his entire life. Um, it's the people say, would we do that if it was a Jewish family? Um, if that's what the court decided, yes. Right. No, no, but, but here, here's the thing. Just because the court doesn't mean law is not always moral. And the charge against Israel is that our law is not equal for, for all people. So to just to make a legal appeal, I don't think is a good argument because the, there's a moral claim being made. So you can't a, a legal a legal claim does not debunk a moral claim. And this is something I, I think many, we often do this. This is one of the reasons why I think we lose a lot of the PR wars. Like if, if you hear the way we describe us coming to the land, you know, we came here legally, we bought the land legally. We always talk about how everything we did was by law. And I do think that's an important nuance in certain, in a certain regard, but at the end of the day, when somebody gets kicked out of their home and you then make an appeal to law, that's just not convincing. So I, I think we need to understand that if we want to be able to change minds, we shouldn't make uh, a legal argument to to debunk a moral claim. When it comes to Sheikh Jarrah, I think it's actually very similar in that regard. I think the just appealing to law isn't enough. And there's a problem in the law that the same law that allows Jews to get their land back from, from pre-48 does not apply to Palestinians. So Palestinians can't get their land back from pre-48, but Jews can. So that so that's the other critique. One is that you're just kicking an old man out of his house. The other is that the law doesn't apply equally across the board. So it's true it is it, it is a civil case. I'm just not sure that's con- that's convincing because you know okay. the, 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 there's a fair fair bit more to it. We're going to do a panel on that Sunday. We're we're going to have a few Israelis and Palestinians have a conversation about Sheikh Jarrah just to bring more clarity. I'd just like to clarify myself then a little bit um, because I didn't go into the way I feel about it on a moral level, um, which is actually totally different. Uh, What I'm saying is that there is uh, a legal system and whatever the legal system decides to do, that's what they're going to do. I cannot personally, uh, you know, I can't do anything to change what the court's going to do. I don't agree that they should have been kicked out of their homes because especially, you yeah, know, it was around too. holy time for them. There was Me no need too, to do Wrong move. I totally, yeah, wrong move. I totally agree. There was no need to kick them out. And especially not after all this time. And at the time it happened, which was around Ramadan at the end. I mean, yeah, I totally agree that that's wrong. What I'm saying is that you can't um, hold all Israelis responsible for that. I agree that sure. it's all right. And yeah, like I said, the court may well be biased towards Jews. Uh, the law, as you in that particular way that you just stated, clearly is. Um, and I don't necessarily think that it's all, you know, like we just leave it alone and we don't criticize it because right. I'm happy to criticize it on a moral level. But legally speaking, 
there wasn't any uh, any laws broken. It wasn't an illegal grab of land. But morally, I agree. Right, right. Yeah, it was it's... blown up. I thought it was blown up into something that it really wasn't. And this is what the mainstream media and all this hype. As soon as you start to get cameras and people and 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 a few protesters and a few, and then it all gets it, it self combusts into something that it's not. And you know now Hamas are seen as liberators of Sheikh Jarrah and El Aqsa. We don't need to even get into these little squabbling things over houses in East Jerusalem. It's childish and it's ridiculous, you know? I, I really, really do think that this is... It, it shows you the ridiculousness of the conflict because you also had that video with... Um, there was a Jewish guy in one of the houses and, and everyone's, you know, talking about this video. He says, you know, if I don't steal the house, someone else will and all this. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw Yaakov, that. Yeah, yeah. This guy, you know, they're shooting themselves in the foot by doing this ridiculous and saying these ridiculous kind of statements. Saying some, saying a statement like that is like you're shooting yourself in the foot, mate. You know, you're, you're just saying something that is so ridiculous. And then all the people that already hated you take that and they're like, well, that's it. You know, fine, look at this guy. And that man does not represent Israeli society or even. A, a big percentage of Israeli society. I really do think we need to get to a stage where we're not squabbling over hilltops in the West Bank. You know, I'll take this hilltop, you take that hilltop. That No, we need an economic, a business, an educational plan for the future that will work on the ground for both Israelis and Palestinians. Whether that is one state, two states, no state, I really, really don't know. I just know that we need the investment, we need to build the trust, and we need to have a serious plan that can lead to success. Because if we keep trying this nonsense back and forth, little war, back and forth, little war, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. You have to hash it out for the long run. You have to have a 50-year, 100-year plan, a 500-year plan. That has to be the kind of outlook. Not one, two years, three, four, five years, and then oh, you've got a huge problem. Which is another example. Maybe we can touch on this a little bit, but you know, uh, our Bedouin cousins in the south are unfortunately a lot of them are scattered around in unrecognized villages. Why are they scattered around in unrecognized villages? Why is our country not recognizing their villages and just and just making them proper? These are questions, like you said, critique of Israel, Adar. We need to be critiquing Israel. Why has our government for 12 years not solved this problem in the Negev? Why? Why? And believe me, it can be solved. Bedouins are very friendly people. They, they can be talked to. You can sit down. You can discuss. You can... I don't understand. So th this is where we yeah. need to be, be, be tough on the critique of Israel about things that are going on. I, I do want to touch on one more comment um so real quick um adam green we we need critical thinking you guys should debate adam green that would be fun so adam green is is this anti-semite he's on bit shoot so actually i was a, a a friend of mine mordechai who was actually who i debated last week he actually was on adam green's show uh this morning and mordechai asked adam if i could join him on his show and Adam rejected. He, he, he doesn't want to debate me. So Adam's scared to debate me. And, and the reason for this is, is this, for that is this. 
Adam, his whole thing is like to like take the Talmud and make it seem like Jews are evil. He doesn't really have much of a, he doesn't have much ammo against like a, a secular humanist Jew. So I feel, mm. I think he's just not comfortable to engage with me in conversation because he just wouldn't really know what to say. Not because I'm some like master debater or anything like that. Just I'm too different from what he, what he's used to. So yeah, Adam refuses to debate me. If he wants to come on here or if he'll have me on, I'd gladly go debate Adam without a uh, no, no question about it. I did see another comment saying that the old man refused to pay rent. So this is another common thing we hear that yeah. that the the residents in Sheikh Jarrah just don't want to pay rent. But if we actually understand what that means, so the owners of the land, the pre forty eight owners of the land, was a Jewish association that was taken away uh, in forty eight, right? Yeah, when the now, Jordanians. Exactly. The, the Jordanians control. I, I don't want to mess up the, the series of events and the dates. I'll, I'll present it. I'll present it in, in depth on Sunday when we have a panel on this. But the association gave the rights to that land to a far right uh, organization of settlers whose goal is to clear East Jerusalem of Palestinians. So a very ideologically driven group now own the rights to the land. So imagine the courts come and say, listen, guy, you now need to start paying rent to someone who wants to remove you from this neighborhood. And once you pass away, your family can't continue to live here. You will then be expelled from this home. So that's that was the deal. And in paying that rent, you're agreeing to acknowledge that they are the rightful owners. So yeah, it's true that people living in, in those homes didn't pay rent, but it, it's not hard to understand why. And, and this part of the narrative is is often missed in, in our defense of what's happening. Okay, but Adar, wait, wait, wait. Can I just put something to you? Let's say uh, I own a house, yeah? Mm -hmm. And you're living in my house paying tenancy for a few for a few years, yeah? You're paying, everything's going smoothly, and then you get into some financial, financial difficulties and you can't pay your rent. And at first I say to you, sure, no problem, it's okay, no worries. You know, a year goes on. Where's the rent? Oh, sure, no worries. You're still in tough times. It goes on, it goes on, it goes on. Eventually, I start to realize I'm never going to see my money, right? So in that, in that point where I've been hit financially, can I then come and chuck you out of your house, which is actually my house? Uh, well, different countries have different different laws on that. There's there's some countries where you, you can't do that, others you can but again, You're that's right. well, just a, well, in Britain, you can, it, in Britain, you can take. But, but again, but that, that's a that's house. a that's a vastly different situation. It's what about, vastly different. about here then? What, what's the Why is it here? so different? Why is it so different? I don't understand. Oh well, let's because, take because the, the, this isn't this isn't a situation of, of just somebody not having money not not wanting to pay rent. It's a situation where where you have ownership go from one person to another, people in a conflict with with one another. Uh, a law stating that you need to begin to pay pay rent to, to an ideologically driven group of people who want to remove you from that neighborhood. And once you pass away, then your your children will be kicked out of that home. In paying it, you're agreeing to that to that organization owning it. So it's a protest. It's a, it's an outright rejection that this far right settler group has ownership of the house. It's a protest of sorts. So it's just it, uh, again, whatever you think about Sheikh Jarrah. It's just not a comparable situation to just a classic example of somebody not being able to pay rent. Okay, so if it was a squatter, let's say, let's say it was a squatter, 
Well, I think generally speaking, squatters should should be removed. Like squatting laws are, are pretty, pretty, pretty silly in, in my opinion. I understand. And I, yeah. I, I get that. I just think that really the whole Sheikh Jarrah thing, it, 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 it's a sign of the times. You know, we have these issues and these conflicts between right and left and Palestinians and Israelis. And instead of like focusing on each issue, we just let the problem go on. Like I just mentioned the, the Bedouin situation in the south. Instead of dealing with the problem uh, straight on, we're kind of letting it go on and on and on. Uh, it's kind of the same with transportation in the south, in the central area, right? It, we're all stuck in traffic all day long because it took them so long to pull the finger out and to do a light railway and to, to you know, put in better public transportation. So I think with regards to Sheikh Jarrah, if you've got tensions in an area like East Jerusalem over there and, and houses and, and Jews and Palestinians, why not bring in people to those regions that connect? Why not you yourself, Adar? You go over there to that area, speak to Jews, speak to Palestinians. You'd be a great bridge over there to, to, to help get, get people talking. Maybe you can get people to see eye, eye to eye. Um, I just think more efforts need to be made on local levels to connect between um, communities and to not allow for this kind of uh, hate to, to envelop. And I want to give you guys a little example. So I'm from a kibbutz in the south called Shoval. It's opposite the bigger, biggest Bedouin community called Rahat. And we had a joint problem opposite the road that, that, that separates our village and their city is quite a dangerous road. And there's been many accidents on the road. So, Jews and Bedouins got together and protested because the government weren't giving the money to put in a roundabout which would save lives over there. And it took Jews and Bedouins getting together, protesting, demanding that we get a roundabout. And eventually the government pulled, pulled the finger out and now we have a roundabout and our, our junction is way more safe than it was. So that's the kind of thing we need. Those are the kind of efforts that we need to build uh, uh, progress here in the Holy Land, I think. I agree with that. And one thing to mention is that you're right, uh, locally more effort needs to be made, which is why I appreciate that, Ada, you're actually speaking out honestly about how yeah. legal, legal, uh, the legal side of things is one thing. And... You know, what's morally right is a different thing. And I appreciate yeah. that. I think that's true. I get it. And I agree. And someone just said that, you know, we can speak out and that's how we can affect what happens in the courts. Maybe. But here I am. I am saying that it's morally wrong. And Amir agreed with me. 100%. So we are doing that. Um, there are people that aren't because they're not interested in changing the status quo but you have to take them for what they are and right. take the rest of us in, in in reality we need to understand that there's a there's a level of complexity here because let's say most palestinians would acknowledge that what's happening in sheikh jarrah is wrong that you shouldn't return ownership to pre-48 but if you were, if Israel were to pass a law giving Palestinians ownership to pre-48, then they'd obviously support that, right? So yeah. the question is, ideologically, do they not think uh, ownership should ever go back, or is it because it's not going back equally, right? So, so again, if it was, if ownership could go back both ways, 
then way more people would be on board with it. I think a lot of the people, though, I, I would say we could probably find a lot of inconsistencies in, in people's like ideological approach when it comes to this, which is not uncommon for 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 how people approach things in general. Like most people just have like a very base level argument, but don't have like a very principled uh, reason for how they how that how they arrived there. And we're going to do a panel on this on Sunday, and I'm going to try to bring out some of these inconsistencies by asking a series of tough questions. But let, let's acknowledge that the question on should land return to people from pre-48, should that be a law? Um, I'm definitely on board with a law like that. I think it should apply to Palestinians as well. Um, now, that there's a question. If it's a Palestinian who's not living in East Jerusalem, someone in Jordan, does that mean that they can come back and kick people out of their homes living in Israel proper? No, probably not. I think we can give ownership back but have the people living there today be protected residents, kind of like what happened in Sheikh Jarrah, um, where, where, they're, where they're paying rent. But I think it should be equal across the board. And I think in a situation where somebody is going to be evicted like this. Wait a second, Adardo. In that situation, can Jews go and settle back in places that they lived all over the Middle East as well? In Khaleb, in Damascus, in Beirut? Yeah, but, we, in, uh, but we, we, look, Israel, Israel can't. Israel should not make its law dependent on the rest of the Middle East. Like, let's not use that as, as but, the so, reason. But wait, I want to get your position, though, because it seems to me like you would vote on, a, on something that would cause a complete demographic mess of Israel. You know, if you opened it up now to say that anyone pre-48, anyone with a claim to a little bit of land or from a village can come back and these guys can come back. No, no, no. I, no, I, I think Israel needs to maintain a very sane immigration policy. I, I, I do support I do support uh, Palestinians having the right of return, but I think it needs Me to be too. done in a way. I think it needs to be done in a way that that's secure. It doesn't mean you just open your border to a million people. No, yeah. uh, but, but but no. Part of part of um, reconciliation will be some some form of, of right of return, and also just you know Jews are are le- leading the world in the concept of property rights. The the we 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 used our resources and knowledge to return property that was confiscated from us uh, during the Holocaust. We know, we, we've done this. We know a lot about returning property uh, that, that was taken from us. We should accept that Palestinians want to do the same. Like that's not a radical position. I understand it makes it a little more complicated because we're still in conflict with, uh, with, with the Palestinian people, but we, we should try to hold true to this value across the board the only time we, we shouldn't hold true to certain values is if we think it will create an existential threat to us or a grave security concern. I get that. I, you can't always be moral if it's going to risk your life. Sure. But we, we, we often are quick to, to not do the right thing just because we're in conflict, because we don't like them, just because we, you know, we don't view them the same way we view ourselves. We have a different standard. For them than we do for ourselves across the board. And again, this isn't just uh, an Israeli thing. People in conflict generally hold different standards for themselves and people they're in conflict with. But it's something we should we should just be be aware of. And I, I think if you do have a, a complex situation like Sheikh Jarrah, so let's say the the ownership did go back to the Jews. Let's at least Israel, be, because they realize it's such a controversial thing. At least invest in building new new houses for. Arabs in East Jerusalem, show them yeah. that this is not a form 
like an attempt to to ethnically cleanse uh, Palestinians, build new neighborhoods for Palestinians in East Jerusalem, show them that there's an investment in in their infrastructure. So there are ways to deal with this. The economy, the investment, the education, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier, and I agree with you. That's a perfect way to deal with the situation in a responsible manner, is to say, here you guys go, here's your house that is, is two kilometers from, and I just want to mention, because there, there's something that's very relevant here in the comments. When you say dealing with the problem with the Bedouin, what specifically do I mean? Um, so I mean that we have a situation in Israel where we have unrecognized Bedouin villages that don't have water, don't have running water, don't have electricity. And I don't want that situation to continue. Um, so I think the state needs to uh, negotiate with um, Bedouins in the south. And, and, and sort out this whole situation so that we can uh, recognize uh, some of the unrecognized villages and in places that we will need to move people, make sure that they have a, a replacement because you can't just have people taking over land more and 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 more. It's, you know, it, it has to stop at some point. Um, yeah. So something needs and to be done with regards to that. And also the, the crime um, in the south and the weapons, uh, the illegal weapons that are, are down there, that's also a huge issue. And people down in the south, apart from having to deal with uh, spouts of fighting from Gaza, they also have, um, you know, lots and lots of robberies and uh, incidents of crime, unfortunately, that need to be uh, taken care of. Um, so, yeah, that's just my thoughts on on dealing with the problem with the Bedouins. Anyway. Yeah. Can can I bring up uh, two points before I have to go? Sure. Unfortunately. All right, so first point, when it comes to East Jerusalem, there's kind of like this vicious cycle of why there's a lack of investment in Palestinian areas because even though Palestinians, like East Jerusalem, like Palestinians, can claim citizenship when they want the vast majority of them haven't yet because they feel like Israel doesn't care about them. And, but because they don't have citizenship, they can't vote in, muni- in municipal elections. They have no say in who's mayor and what the city council looks like, and they have no say in the budget. So the people who run the city can ignore them, which makes them feel like Israel doesn't care even more. So there are even less of them get a citizenship. So even less of them vote. And it just keeps going in this circle of, just this vicious cycle of nobody caring about what happens over there. And secondly, there was a super chat that came up, which is something I feel like uh, I should talk about. Uh, did, did, did we miss the super chat? There was a super chat that you might've brought up when I was away. Oh, about no. of an American at talking about like, I've been voting Democrat my whole life, wait, and, but wait, I'm wait, concerned wait. about anti-Israel. Hold on. We need, but we, need, we need to give them the proper respect of people who give super chats. You know, they're, yeah. Definitely. Hold up. Um, and we, you know, we really responding to. Yeah. I mean, um, if I remember the question correctly while I'm waiting for Adar to pull it up, I yeah, also. I'm going to uh, pull it up through the analytics. It yeah. disappeared already, but we'll get it. Okay. Well, uh, if you're still watching, person, I also vote Democrat. I'm a card-carrying member of the Democratic Party. And yes, there is a rise of anti-Israel sentiment amongst the left, the leftist, uh, the, as in like the furthest left wing of the party, the progressive wing. And even then, that's only amongst a few members of the progressive left. 
I mean, Bernie Sanders, who I would say is the leader of the progressive left at this point in the Democratic Party, he's not so much anti-Israel so much as he's just very critical of the right-wing government that has been in power for a while. The real anti-Semites or anti-Israel rhetoric that I'm sure you're talking about, such as what Elon Omar and Rashida Tlaib have been saying, those are just two members of the Democratic Party. And yes, it is worrying that they have a foothold in the party. But I would say that you don't need to choose between Democrats and Israel as the majority of the party is sensible and does see like that the situation is a lot more complicated than other, than a lot of people make it out to be. I mean, hell, the establishment of the democratic party, which what is what Biden represents still would call themselves Zionists. You know, Biden Biden's also called Talib a, a hero. So. He, he did. But, you know, people have to placate. You have to placate members of your own party. Like he's not just the president of the country. He's also the head of the Democratic Party. That's kind of his position. So he has to placate all the different factions within it. I would say it's more his responsibility to set them straight when they say stupid things. But, yeah. As the leader. But one thing. Uh, wait, wait, real quick. I just want to give a proper shout it? out. So. Yeah, it was, yeah, I can't pull it up, but uh, it was Matthew K. Thank you, Matthew K. for the $5. Yeah. Matthew goes, I voted Democrat my entire life. However, I'm concerned with the amount of anti-Israel sentiment on the left. And then he asks, can Israel survive without U.S. support? So, uh, uh, Jared, you responded to the first part, but yeah. can Israel survive without U.S. support? This is, this is essentially the question. I would say yes. At this point, yes. We can. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of I see this a lot in Americans, especially left leaning America, even right wing Americans just in general. I should probably say that they think of Israel as a vassal state to America, as if we have to do what they say. We have to inform them of everything we do. We're a client state. We're on our way to becoming state 51. Like, no, no, we're an independent country. We can take care of ourselves. We have our own weapons industry. We don't need to be sending more money to America. We love cooperating with America. We love trading as equal partners. But the Israeli reliance on America was established at a time where Israel was in a bad spot during the uh, sorry, not six day, the Yom Kippur War. Mm -hmm. That was when we started receiving stuff from America. And we've been and we've recognized that that's not a position we want to be in. That's why we've developed our own arms industry. That's why we stopped using American guns. We started using like Israeli guns and Israeli tanks and Israeli uh, APCs. That's and very Israeli. It's very yeah. recent still. Yeah, it's it's, it's very it's very it's very recent because these things take a while to build up. But we did build it up for that purpose of we can't let the Americans think they run us. I think they still do. They're they still, still think they still think that, but you know. Right. Yeah. There's still the credit arrangement where we get weapons from them based on a credit system. And yeah. yet, like that needs to stop because I don't want America to have that kind of power over what we do. If they do, then, you know, if they're selling us weapons, then they have a vested interest in us continuing to use them. So I don't want them to have any sort of ability to make yeah. that happen. We mm-hmm. should be able to take it into our own hands and say, the at least now any decisions we make it's we're not being pressured we're making them off our own back and we'll have to take 
responsibility for those two. Yeah, yeah. Th that's a good point. Uh, another thing that many people don't know is that the three billion in aid Israel gets a year, seventy percent of that needs to be spent on U.S. weapons. So yeah. in, in U.S. industry, that money goes it, right back to America. Yeah, it, essentially, that three billion dollars is just a subsidy to the defense, in, the American defense industry. Yeah, it's a um, discount. It's a buddy buddy it, discount. It, it, exactly, really and it, and there's another thing that if Israel needs to foot the bill for for their weapons rather than America, it's possible they're going to be a little bit less trigger happy, which I think could potentially be ultimately a good thing. Yeah, um, it's almost like you need to take responsibility uh, for for the weapons you use. No one else is going to pay for it. So again, we don't know how it play out, but not only uh, am I confident Israel would be okay without U.S. funding, I I even think Israel might be better off. I, 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 I do so want to I do want to bring something up because this is a common misconception. Um, Mokan nine 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 goes Arabs are Semites also. They are. So they are actually true. actually, I recently learned this. Oh, well, I, I, I like I like this one by Akon oh. Benethane Amir. Oh. I call it military coupons. <laughs> I just saw that one. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Jared, you're jumping. Uh, we, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm excited. <laughs> so actually, Arabs are not Semites, and neither are Jews. There are no Semitic people. Se Semites is not a classification for people. It's a classification for language. Hebrew and Arabic is a Semitic language. There are no mm -hmm. Semitic people. But saying that Arabs are also Semites, and uh, Mokan, I don't know what you were referring to, but often people say I can't be anti-Semitic. I myself am a Semite. That's missing. It, it's missing, it's the, missing the point. The, the point because anti-Semitism is not saying that that term does not mean against Semitic people. Anti-Semitism just means against Jews. That's just what the term means. I could acknowledge it could be confusing at times, but when somebody uses the term anti-Semitism and you say, um, "Well, I'm Semitic because I'm Arab," you, you're you're using a different definition of anti-Semitism for what it's known as. So that's, that can't be used as a deflection for somebody who is using the term anti-Semitism. So just keep that in mind. Anti-Semitism is having negative attitude towards Jewish people, not being anti-Semitic people who don't even exist. Yeah, but based yeah. on the etymology, that's a great point that it's not actually a people, it's yeah. a, a language type. And uh, that's a great point. Actually, I never really thought about it that way, but we did mention it on our episode. There's, it, actually, let's. It's also a logical fallacy. It's it's an equivocation fallacy, which is when you use two different a, a word and with two different meanings. What's a good example? I guess I mean that's a good example. But yeah, when when somebody says a word and then you you differently considered yeah. that could pull out. A, common example used, but that's maybe one of the most common equivocation fallacies. Um, yeah. learn, learn well, unfortunately, guys, I need to go. I have to go. It was lovely no seeing worries. you guys. Yeah, this one's Aaron, right thank on. Thank you so much. It, it was great having you. Um, send your grandparents my love. And uh, yeah, I will. See you soon, bro. Thank you. Thank yeah. Also, subscribe to the channel. Uh, Open Peace yep. Podcast. YouTube. Do it. Like all the videos. Link, Watch them. Link, link, Bye. Link. Link in the description. Cool. Um, we're going on 215. We could start winding it down. We could also in, invite an, an audience no, member to come on chat.
Are, are you guys uh, getting tired? Let me just grab a glass of water and I'll, uh, we, 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 I can, we can finish. Sure, water break. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap it up in 15. At 2.30, we'll, cool. we'll wrap Sounds it up. Good, yeah, I'm happy to have someone on as well, though. If there's someone that wants to hop on. Yeah, if, 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 if somebody in the chat wants to hop on the stream, uh, message me on Discord and we'll get you on. Uh, if you're new to the channel, subscribe. You know, the analytics show us that only 14% of the viewers are subscribed, which means there's a lot of people who are viewing this and don't show no love. Come on, show some love, hit that subscribe <laughs> button. And if you like this video, give us that thumbs up. If you don't like it, give us that thumbs down. Uh, maybe we could get a few more super chats while we're at it. Express so. your, your right to super chat us. Um, let's see. This has been great so far, Dar, really. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a fun chat. Um, Saki asks, do you think it's possible for Egypt to absorb Gaza? It might be easier to find a, a state solution between the West Bank and Israel. I agree that it would be easier to find a solution if Gaza wasn't in the equation. The likelihood of Egypt absorbing Gaza seems very, very, very low to me. I just don't see why why Egypt would do that. Personally, um, maybe someone here has a, a, a different take on it. No, zero percent, zero percent. Didn't do it. I mean, they could have done it in the past. They've never done it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think the. Um, I don't think that really that's gonna work even if you look at like the federation idea which as we said before i kind of like uh for a bunch of reasons but even if we look at that um that's one of the big challenges with that is going to be including gaza which if you don't do it's not going to work because palestinians are not gonna leave behind um so, their their brothers and sisters they're not gonna want any part of it. it what's funny is um not funny but interesting is that when we spoke to rafi about his idea he told us that from the polls they did asking people uh, on the ground what do you think of this palestinians I, i'm talking about mostly um a lot of the ones in the west bank said well if you were doing that we'd go along with it but uh you'd have to um we wouldn't be able to actively support it if you were going to leave out Gaza. We would keep our mouths shut and go along with it if you were doing it just because, you know, people obviously want the best for their immediate families. But in the sense that, you know, they care for their people, it's not going to be right to leave Gaza out, which makes it harder. But, I mean, no one said it was supposed to be easy. We're talking about, you know, international politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we might have some people uh, join us. Some Palestinian friends reached out saying they want to hop on stream, so, stream, so yep. I sent them a link. Uh, Leika, I see that you said you're, you're down to come on and debate apartheid. So actually, our brother Beast Process also would like to debate apartheid. So this can be an, that could be an awesome matchup. So Leika, Beast Process, let's make it happen. A debate about apartheid. Um, I'll reach out to you both on, on Discord. By the way, uh, let me let me shout out our BBS. BBS is kind of like Reddit, but built on blockchain technology. We just we just launched one. You actually earn money for making posts, so it's kind of cool. Oh, cool! Nice. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share it in the 
Where that is the cool. BBS link? There's also yeah, yeah, quite yeah. something interesting here, Adar. Um, someone has said, are you all non-religious? Is religion an obstacle to peace? I think that's quite an interesting uh, so question. Just join, join our uh, BBS. I just dropped it in chat. Um, yeah, well, hold on. Uh, Juan. Thank you, Juan. Are all you non-religious? Is religion an obstacle to peace? Um, so I'm, I'm non-religious. I'm secular. I'm, I'm agnostic. And I'm, I'm atheist to agnostic, depending on your, your definition of, of God. So if, you're, if you say, to, uh, on the belief of an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God that uh, wrote the Torah and gave it to us and expects us to do this, this, and this, I'm atheist. If God is some all-encompassing energy, some, some form of higher power, then I'm certainly ag- agnostic. So it depends how you define God, but I'm, I could be defined as, as one or the other. Do I think it's an obstacle to peace? I mean, here's the thing. Having whole, latching on to a strong ideology is so inherent to being human. The question is, if you're not religious, will that be replaced with some other dogmatic ideology, like a political ideology, a nationalist ideology? So it's really hard to answer. It depends what will replace religious belief. Mm-hmm. If people are less religious and just become like, humanists and just love the other, then I'd say we're probably going to be better off. But if you become like secular, but ultra nationalist, then I'd say then you probably not better off. So it really depends. Yeah, exactly. Religion is an excuse, right? It's used as just as an excuse for, for the, the bad behavior and the, the wildness and the, the things that we don't want to see going on here, basically. That's my thought. Well, I think it's also easy to become a religious zealot and to give into religious zeal because it is so addictive, really, when you feel like mm. that's what guides the world and your world particularly. Sure. You're going to sure. cling to that frantically. And if it's uh, being taken away from you or if it's being thrown into doubt, that can be quite a traumatic experience. It can be quite disruptive to who you are who you feel you are but i'm not i believe in god um for my own reasons from my own experiences things have happened i choose to explain it with god and i believe in it but i'm not religious i keep almost nothing um i I consider myself a believer uh not any not religious at all um i i do actually feel like um for all intents and purposes, it is an obstacle to peace only because there are people who take it so seriously and allow it to govern every decision they make. Basically, mm-hmm. it's all in line with does this um, does this work with my religious beliefs? Uh, if I were to uh, be understanding of the Palestinians suffering and agree that we do things wrong to them and. Um, then it's like betraying my religion and by extension, betraying God and who wants to do that. So in that sense, um, prying uh, any sort of uh, control of the situation from their hands is going to be difficult because we have a massive uh, percentage of the population that are religious, that uh, not all of them obviously have the same opinions on stuff, of course, but there are certainly it's pretty evident that BB was voted for time and time and time again, because he had a massive uh, amount of support from the Haredi community. A lot of whom I'm sure 
uh, have these negative views about Palestinians. So it certainly can be an obstacle. Um, I feel we need to think creatively and not keep ourselves in the box we've been in for the last 70 years, uh, not revisit things. I mean, maybe we can revisit things we didn't give a, a fair enough go to, but to go back to things that have been discussed a million times and uh, clearly have never gotten anywhere. There may be reasons we've never gotten anywhere before, but, you know, what seems logical to me is to try stuff you haven't thought of before. Uh, play around with those ideas. Mm. Yeah, I fully agree with you there, Kane. that we need to look at uh, things um, and solutions that are completely outside the box and not within the realm of dialogue that has gone on for the last 30, 40, 50, however many years. Uh, with regards to the question, I'm also non-religious. Uh, I would say that I'm agnostic um, because I don't have any of the answers. I, I, don't, I can't sit there and say that I'm an atheist because I can't tell you that God doesn't exist. But I also can't say that I believe in God because... I'm not too sure he exists or or whatever that creator or superpower is. I, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. So I'm quite happy to sit my life sitting on the fence and, you know, try and learn as much as I possibly can about both sides, uh, which is why I find, you know, histo history, archaeology, um, anthropology, uh, anthropology, um, interesting, the, you know, and it's also why I find the religious texts themselves interesting because I see them as part of our history. Uh, the Torah, the New Testament, uh, the Quran, the Hindu Vedas, they're all part and parcel of our unique civilization that's gone on on our planet. So I'm, I'm really curious to find out more and more and more. Personally, I think that there may be way more to things than, you know, we really see on the ground today. Um, I, I think when we can start answering bigger questions about theology, about where we came from, about how uh, Earth was created, about the universe, the more study we do into these things, the more we're going to find out. And um, the better, let's say, society is going to get because if we see you know there's a progression there from 2000 years ago to today is is shaman it's is is it's, it's you know a long way apart and i think also if you look at just 150 years ago or 200 years ago to where we are today we're sitting here communicating with people from all across the world it would be if if i told someone 100 years ago that they'd be doing this now and you could order food and anything you want on your phone and it will just come to your house they'd be like what that's that's heaven you're talking to me about uh, mm -hmm. what you can what you can fly there's flying play you can eight hours you're in you know people would really be amazed so i think we need to be appreciative of what we are given here whether that's by a creator or whether that's by big bang and science whatever you want to believe you know don't take for granted what's there in front of you cherish what you've got um and regardless if you're a religious person or if you're a non-religious person be the best person you can be within those boundaries uh, that would be my my advice on that my take on Awesome. So just a quick one. Um, John John goes, bring on Israel advocacy movement. So Israel advocacy movement is exactly as it's called. It's an Israel advocacy movement. Yeah, we've they had a large, uh, just Joseph Cohen. 
Yeah, 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 we've we've had Joseph yeah cool. Uh, awesome. So I'm definitely open to having uh, Joseph on. So I've actually been speaking to him. I will be on uh, Israel Advocacy Movement's channel this coming Wednesday to debate oh. Joseph Cohen on the on the Nakba and the the topic of ethnic cleansing. So whoever okay. follows, whoever doesn't know the channel, follow them. I'll, I'll be going on there. Should be an interesting one. And yeah, I'd, I'd be, be happy to have one. I'd be happy to have uh, Joseph on the on the show. Yeah. Um, Alarami, you're asking if you need to pay to join BBS. No, BBS is completely free. You get money for signing up and for interacting with it. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into blockchain now. We are winding down, but uh, yeah, j- just check it out. It's it's free of cost, and you earn money just for interacting. The better your content is, the more you earn. How does that work? Some complex system of tokenomics, which I could get into on a, on a different uh, session, but but it's cool. It's cool. Um, anyways, uh, we, we do have P-Ball. P-Ball wants to join stream. P-Ball, we don't have much time, but what's up, man? Good to see you. Well, good to see your logo. Ahalan wasalam, P-Ball. What's up? How are you? So I have two points, actually, but because we have no, uh, because we have um, not... We, we don't have enough uh, time. I'm you, can, you can make them. One. You can make both points. Make them both. That's fine. Okay. So, like, the first one is about that whole Semitic thing, you know. Like, mm-hmm. pe- people are saying this because, um, you know, it's uh, it's about, like, like um, Semites are sons of Shem, you know, like, something like that. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you call an Israelite, uh, you call an um, son of Israel, you know, like mm-hmm. it's it's something like that, but I don't think it makes sense because nobody really like they don't really exist. Like who, this whole who thing, don't really thing exist. doesn't exist, you know. So I don't know. Uh, I've met a lot of people who think like that. Like well, I didn't quite understand people because yeah. who do, who did who doesn't exist? Um. Uh, no. Like this, the the Semites, you know. Um, ah. the, the, the sentence, like, you know, disturbed. the term. The name itself is not correct. Yeah. Yeah, so ju- just from, like, like Wikipedia, th- there's a Wikipedia page called Semitic People, and the first sentence is, Semite, Semitic people, or Semitic cultures was a term for an ethnic, cultural, or raci- racial group. The terminology is now largely obsolete outside the grouping Semitic languages in, ling- in, in linguistics. So it had some use back in the day, and then the rest of the page talks about anti-Semitism. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, to like, me, so, I relate. Uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, people. Yeah, go on, go on. I mean, yeah. No, on. no, I just, Semitism no, to no, me is, okay. it, yeah. is the language. It, it, it comes from the language, you know, um, from the yeah. proto uh, Sinai that the, the developed into modern Hebrew, into ancient Hebrew, into modern Hebrew, into, from to Arabic, proto Arabic. It, it, it's, it's all a development. Um, so, in terms of that, I just see it as a, a linguistic thing, really. It's yeah, it's, it's just thing. like family of languages, you know. It's about... Yeah, family of languages. Like, for instance... Yeah, like, for instance, you know, you have the French, uh, Spanish, and, and Latin that are all kind of, you know, they all come from Latin, the French, Spanish, and Italian. They all come from Latin, um, but they're all a bit different and unique. You wouldn't call... Uh, a French person and an Italian—that's kind of offensive, you know. The same thing. I I wouldn't call 
uh, an Arab Palestinian, uh, a Jew, or an Israeli, because you're you're your own thing. You're you, you know you've developed over the, the thousands of years your own language, your own culture, your own everything. Um, so I I just think that it's key people on on all sides to we we spoke about this in depth on our channel on the Open Peace podcast that we need to get the people that are getting engaged in social media to accept and promote and and want the best for both sides so you see so much here of of you know oh i'm pro israel oh i'm pro palestine well there's you can't be pro one side without being pro both any win or loss on the land is is going to have an effect for for each people so you know it's about pushing the discussion to a point where we can get the online community in the social media realm to be pro both peoples, to love Israelis and to love Palestinians the same, regardless. Yeah, Kivo, yeah, what's your? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, could you, you could respond. I just also I wanted to hear your second point as well. Yeah, so it's it's like like you're you're gonna give that um, the Palestinians ownership of the of that uh, pre nine forty eight. Like it's not gonna happen. I don't think it's gonna happen. Like. People will be against it. I mean, even even the Israelis who who are who live there, like they, they will refuse this. Like you can't just say, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna kick you," just just because some some people wants to come back to their land and their their homes. Nah, that's not gonna work. Like just just look at Sheikh Jarrah, who 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 actually just want who who wants her, his home to just just be taken from people who claim that they're these these homes. Just it's, it doesn't make any sense. Just a, a Palestinian come comes and takes this home. Like oh, nobody gonna accept that. You know, it's, it's like it's kind of acceptable, but I don't think it makes any sense. Well, we mentioned like, that before. We yeah. did say before that uh, it's not legally speaking. There are certain rules, but the law may be corrupt. And morally, it's wrong. I mean, it's it's messed up to kick people out of their homes, especially during their hot, like holy time. Um, I totally agree that there was no need to do that, like we said earlier. Um, but you know, is the answer to stockpile rocks and throw them at people? Probably not. But I understand that maybe you don't see many other options. There needs to be something done to address that. There needs to be more ways for injustices to be voiced without just being squashed, without, you know, being heard. Um, there needs to be, uh, that that comes from the people opening up to the idea yeah. of the other side yeah. being human. It's a joint effort. It's a joint effort. I don't know if you heard earlier, people, but, you know, I gave a, an example of something that happened in my region uh, of Israel with Shoval and Rahat and two different communities with the same problem. Uh, of having a dangerous road and what needed to be done there was actually put in a traffic light the roundabout still is not the best solution we need a traffic light there so if anyone's listening traffic light uh, for Shabal Laha Junction um, but that was two people coming from different communities together just to get a simple thing done so say like issues in the West Bank that aren't related to the conflict maybe we should tackle them step by step so like uh, environmental issues in the West Bank, like sewage and 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 uh, garbage disposal and trash and and recycling. 
that's a huge issue in the West Bank. So maybe it would be amazing if we could get Jews and, and, and Palestinians together over there to do something about that issue that they're both suffering from. It's the same air you're breathing. It's the same landscape you're looking at. Um, so maybe that can help. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. Cool. We're gonna we're gonna wind down. We'll do final thoughts. Mm. Everyone can have the opportunity to share final thoughts, pitch pitch what they're doing, and uh, yeah, then we'll uh, we'll sign off. Their next session will be Sunday again. We're gonna do a session on Sheikh Jarrah. It's gonna try to be the most nuanced and in depth conversation on the topic to date. So tune in. It'll be Sunday, eight p.m. Jerusalem time. Yeah. So. Uh, Whoever wants to start, final thoughts. Wait, um, Lisa, just say something about she wants to debate apartheid with Beast or something. Yeah, we're going to set up a debate between Leica and uh, Beast okay. on apartheid. Yeah. Yeah. Hope you listening. Hope yeah, me too. Definitely me too. I think this conversation itself has been phenomenal. I also want to join, but. Mm. Well, the debates like, get, you know. What's up, yeah, what's up people? Yeah, like uh, I was just saying that you can you can call Israel an apartheid state and you can't call it an apartheid state at the same time. It's like mm. apartheid in the West Bank and Gaza, but like it's it's not in mainland Israel, you know. It's mm. it's it's like you know, like like um Arabs in Israel doesn't have full rights, that's true, but they actually live a good life actually. But here in the West Bank, we live like a, a trash, like settlers having the high life while we just live like water is just old for them. Like we can't even protest with up to 10 people. Like They can protest with, I don't know how much numbers, like 60, 70. Like it's, it's a, like it's, it's, it's obviously it's an apartheid system in, in the West Bank and, and it should not happen. Well, I guess we'll break that down in depth. Um, yeah, I mean, I could get into that with be. you now, people, but we'd need uh, another few yeah. hours. We are, we, we, yeah, we, we dished that out earlier. Uh, whoever's just tuning in now, if you go towards the beginning of the session, we had a fairly long discussion about apartheid. But, but um, people, are, are those your final words? Yeah, they are, actually. Oh, awesome. Okay. So Good having you as always. Amir, what's up? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Well, one thing I wanted to just pick up on what people said there, you know, we definitely need a change in reality in the West Bank in, in terms of everything uh, for, for the way things are run over there. There, there needs to be wholesale changes. Uh, it, we just need to be realistic about how we're going to reach those changes and what steps need to be made along the way to, to get where everybody wants to be. Um, it, you know, it, it really is uh, uh, going to be a gradual process. Uh, do I think checkpoints are, are needed everywhere? Definitely not. Um, do, do I think there are security concerns? Definitely yes, but they would be minimized uh, by, by giving uh, more freedom of movement um, to Palestinians and more opportunities and, and a better life in general. Um, in terms of coming on the platform, Adar, I just want to thank you for having you on. Uh, for having us on uh, as a team, the Open Peace podcast. And for anyone listening um, that's out there, you know, please go ahead and check out 
our YouTube channel. Um, if you like it, go ahead and subscribe, uh, give likes and comments. We really like to get engaged um, and, and uh, feel free to ask any questions. We're, we're here to help. Uh, one little comment that I did see in the chat which really stood out to me um, somebody said that this channel is one of the best places um, to get your Israel or Middle East uh, info and hats off to you there Adar. that's that's an amazing achievement uh, I think you've done there and you know I really do think that this is um, it's key to, to, to pushing things forward and building dialogue and uh, I really want to congratulate you on the project and uh, wish you a lot of uh, luck in the future with it, um, you know? Thank you, Amir. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so about Amir, what, what you have said about um, checkpoints and security. People, you, you, you had... People, you had your oh, you, 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 <laughs> wait, okay. wait, wait, no, no, no. You know what? Be, because I like you, you, you feel you feel the need to rebuttal Amir's final words. <laughs> we're, 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 okay, okay, okay. Just, just okay. If, if you uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an exception and let you to rebuttal his his final words. But you need to do it in a way that's not gonna fuel fuel a, a debate right now. So it needs to be very. <laughs> Very neutral uh, <laughs> response, okay? So, yeah. So, it's about... It's not going to be something about giving another point. It's it's just... It's just like a point that ends uh, his point, you know? It's like um, Israelis have the right to... Like, the settlers have the right to just have checkpoints because, like, you know, um, have security. And I, I believe um, that, like... I don't. I don't have a problem with checkpoints, but like they're, they're annoying to us. To us, it's just of course. like you. You can't. You can't just go on freely. You know, it's. Like, I, I know people. Imagine, I, I feel you know, your frustration. I served at those checkpoints, so I, I feel your frustration yeah. as a Palestinian. I, I seen your frustration with my own eyes, and I also felt my own frustration of being have having to go there because that that's the situation I was born into. Um, so it, it's something that a lot of Israelis don't like as well. Um, and it's something that I, I fully agree with you needs to be dismantled. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm in yeah. I believe too. Israel have, um, have security, like settlers, like they can have their own security here and like, but it just, it's just being more like you're building more settlements and you're building, you're, you're making us more violent, like. Um, I understand like, people people though this is this is really a topic for like a whole nother episode. I don't mind coming on with Adar and you and and hashing out these kind of <laughs> things but it really we do need a lot more time for these kind of things. Even the term like settler, you know, to to the people that are settling over there in the West Bank, that term to them is even a disgrace. Who are you to tell me that you're settling on my land, you know? How can you call me? How can I settle on my own land? That's the way they perceive things. So it's really a whole nother episode, people, but you're making some very good points. Making some very good points. Um, yeah. I just wanna, I, I wanna say that a good way to wrap this up because it is, um, there's clearly injustices and speaking about them alone doesn't, um, it doesn't make right the things that have been done. Um, but speaking about them certainly opens things up to further conversation, more uh, intricate conversation about details. What can we do 
specifically to try and change the situation. Yeah. Uh, we need to accept each other's um, experiences uh, and move forward with a more um, some uh, a mindset more conducive to progress. Uh, this is the the best way to do it, and it may take some time, but fixing the injustices is, you know, it's paramount. Uh, we've come to a point where any day now it needs to happen. Like we need to start really pushing it on, and these injustices, you know, we don't have to agree on everything to understand that that we don't agree on everything, you know. So it's all right that we don't necessarily or uh, that we're not necessarily in line on everything that's totally cool um but there are there are concrete steps to take where we can improve the situation without necessarily agreeing on ideological things amen well said all of you um we have one last super chat jeremy roth thank you so much for the five pounds Adara is someone working in international law and has represented cases on both sides of the issue. I'd love to be involved if I can be of any help. For sure, Jeremy, we, we'd love to have you join us in some capacity. You can find my contact information. There's a link to all my social media platforms uh, in the description. So just reach out to me. Let's set it up. Uh, and, you know, that goes out to everybody. We're very much a community-run project. Anyone who wants to get involved can be involved. You can contribute in many different ways. You could be on the show if you want. You could help with social media. You could help with booking our guests. Um, really, the, 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 the more help we can get, the better. And it's really very much appreciated. Um, with that, we are going to move it to uh, whoever wants. You know, we do have a Discord. We have a large community there. I guess we could do an after party there. I'm not going to join the, the after party, but I'm sure P-Ball will want to. P-Ball is always down for after parties. Um, <laughs> Maybe maybe Amir That's and Kane true. will join as well. So whoever wants to join the after party, it's just like a, a voice chat where anyone can join. I just dropped a uh, link to Discord in the chat. Join our Discord. On the left-hand side, it says lounge. Click lounge. You'll be connected via voice. Uh, and, yeah, thank you all for joining us. This was a fun one. Kane, Amir, P-Ball, it's, it was a great pleasure. And uh, we'll see you all Sunday for – Sheikh Jagat special. With Thanks love. very much.